Welcome to Dialogue Choices Podcast. Andrew's not here. He didn't sleep well. I also slept weird. Sleep weird. Sleep is weird lately. So I keep waking up at 8 a.m., which is no, which for a lot of normal people is fine. But for me is like, oh, fuck, that's not what I budgeted for when I went to sleep. Uh, and I keep sleep. I keep waking up at 8 a.m. and not being able to go back to sleep. So I'm like, I need to like specifically fix this by trying to uh, just go to sleep at midnight. Now, that's the obvious like p- pattern recognition solution to this problem. So last night I went to sleep at midnight. And when did I wake up? 1030 <laughs> so fuck you caught me. up to, to the lack yeah. of sleep from other nights so i just i just i'm just struggling where i'm like oh my god damn it i just i'm like it'll be you a bonus to, thing like I, i'll I go to sleep early and i'll even get to get some writing done before the podcast it's like i barely had time I, to like order a shitty breakfast and roll out of bed before the podcast i have so to I'm teach you about the, the alarm feature on your phone snapping awake a little i don't want to have an alarm <laughs> alarm alarm is making me sleep well, worse because I'm thinking about like, how really? much, because oh. uh, well, yeah, because I, I setting an alarm only makes me think about how much time is left before I have to. I'm supposed to be woken up by the alarm, which makes me sleep less because it keeps me up. Oh, I see. Because my brain is I, uh, stupid. I can't. I, my sleep disorder makes it so that if I don't have an alarm, like if I don't, if I'm not forcefully woken up by something, I will not wake up. So like last night for me, I'm in the complete opposite boat. I went to bed at like 730 because I was really tired after packing a bunch. And then I woke up at like midnight because my cats were being annoying. And then I was up for like an hour or two and then went back to sleep. And I slept until like 1045. <laughs> I just I will mm. just sleep for for an 12 hours in a night because whatever, like I'm not going to wake up if I don't have to wake up. So, yeah, I could never I, be you. I could never sleep without an alarm. I'm in the same boat as Keith, and it, it's a rocky boat. I don't like it. I, yeah. Well, <laughs> on Friday, well, sleep we just were, gets uh, worse as you get older. It just it just stops doing it right. I'm like, and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, but but my problem is exactly yours. Like, I wake up at the uh, early, basically. Um, so I I went to sleep at six thirty in the morning because of Zomboid. And then I woke up at nine, which is my normal woke up wake up time, and I was not sleepy. And I'm like, why? Why? And I stayed in bed for like half an hour. I was like, this is stupid. I'm just gonna play some Overwatch. And I play Overwatch. And then of course, like, in comes midnight because you know we also record on Saturday, so I, I need to stay up late. But in comes midnight, and I was like, oh, I'm super, I'm super groggy. I'm just gonna go to bed. And as I see my bed, I'm like, okay, I need. I, I'm not gonna go to bed for three hours, which was my plan actually. Uh, I'm just gonna go to sleep. So I, I I messaged you on Discord and be like, okay, no 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 recording for me today, tonight. Oh, you mean you're, oh, you meant you're going to sleep now and not in three hours, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I can be exhausted and then lay down in bed and then not sleep, and it drives me fucking insane. I'm just like, why, why? I was literally falling asleep watching TV downstairs. Like, why does me dragging myself to bed wake? Like, why am I awake now? Like, it makes me genuinely think, like, I should just lay down and stay asleep on, on the couch and just give up. Yeah. Because it's like, maybe you I'll just all, win. You could watch but TV then, on your phone. But, but then people will arrive and then fuck that oh, up yeah. for me. TV on the phone isn't, like, as passive. Like, audio on phones is worse and more irritating to listen to. But you want to sleep. Uh, so yeah, that's more true. Awake. It's irritating. Yeah, like, yeah. The, audio's, the audio on phone is more awake-making because of how shitty and irritating the audio is. 
uh, and it has way more ads. Like nowadays, the oh, quote-unquote yeah. TV is of course on-demand video with zero ads Wait, and like a video going YouTube on red? for like forty plus minutes. But fucking, I don't have YouTube Red. It's also not I, called. I, it I has never all, see it also ads hasn't on... been called YouTube Red forever, or whatever could, it's called. I never see be... ads on my phone. What's this wrong with second... my phone? Yeah, I never see ads on my phone either. I. <laughs> <laughs> I pay for every premium service to get rid of ads. I ad block everything. Like I, I don't. don't think I've seen an ad in friggin' ten years at this. I don't want to pay for YouTube Just, Red on my phone because I still can't get my stupid phone to like use the same any of the actual YouTube accounts I I use. My phone oh, yeah. is its own completely separate YouTube account because I can't get it to switch to any of the ones that I actually use. It just won't because Google's stupid and I have a Google like because it's an Android phone. It's like you have to use uh, the email of your phone for your YouTube account. I'm like, you don't. no, you can just log in. You I've never successfully your... gotten to switch. And I've tried several times. <laughs> yeah. I hate phone apps. They're so evil. Weird. They're they so hate. Weird. They're designed to hate me. Like they they go out of their way yeah. to be unusable. They're very much. I don't armed. understand just log why out every of your phone, phone app is the worst. Your phone thing. email and switch over to the other email. It doesn't That's all work. You need to do. I, I promise you, I've tried that multiple times, and it just the doesn't. The fact that you even have a phone email that is separate from your other emails is weird. It's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> I think my phone email is my more authentic email than my YouTube email. But it's just well, like just, but, the real Keith Butler. Just like, just let me use. But I'm like, email. just let me sign into the actual YouTube accounts I use. And it's like, nah, <laughs> mysterious. Like, so I've got my video essay YouTube account. I've got my Let's Play YouTube account. And I've got this mysterious bonus Let's uh, YouTube account on my phone that, yeah. is, like, for the longest time was just Jenny Nicholson videos. Like, it's like, well, you watch two Jay Nicholson videos. We're just going to recommend those on loop forever and never expand beyond this. I don't. Because every time, I, every time it tells me to, to watch anything else, I'm like, oh, this is way worse. Let's go back to Jay Nicholson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, YouTube I, recommendations uh, are cursed. Yeah, I have I have just my one master Google account that I then have brand pages for for all of my other stuff. So like my my Let's Play channel is just like a brand page underneath my my regular personal Google account that I'm signed into on my phone. So like if I want to leave comments, I just switch over to the toaster brand and then I leave comments and then I switch back to my main brand. And that's where I have my YouTube premium and all that stuff. And it's easy. You know, I don't need to worry about it ever. I, I use my phone app for YouTube for everything. Like, I, that's 95% of my YouTube watching is on an app. Hmm. Phones are no, evil. I watch a lot They're of my to get computer. Me. I, rega regarding the YouTube recommendations, do you guys remember there was a time where we could see why a video was recommended to us? Every once in a while, it would show up. Why was this recommended to me? And it's like, because you watched this video. Or because you know the viewers That's of like this channel a percentage of all of my comments is people being like yeah. why is this in my feed i'm like i don't know maybe you comment <laughs> on more that'll fix it <laughs> that absolutely will yeah people just understand not understanding on a basic level how youtube works it's like well you're engaging with it so and you clicked on it so you're well, telling them it was right but there's multiple there's different types of recommendations that youtube makes and I, there's one in particular that i wish youtube wouldn't do it which is uh because youtube makes a lot of money out of this channel recommendations don't like those it's usually the ones that get recommended to me and they have like 10 million views already i'm like you don't need one more view just not never recommend this channel so all but the I people do. that just default to uh it's basically just all the stuff that it recommends to you if you just make a new if you just log just yeah yeah enter youtube with no context 
you have wanting to say and, log and, in uh, or making a, a new account all these other things that are exactly the opposite of my, my point <laughs> being portuguese is, is really good for that because there's so much stuff in portuguese and it's th that youtube recommends and i never watch anything in portuguese in, on my youtube and I, like it's like a it's like a red flag i see portuguese words <laughs> never recommend never recommend because <laughs> i know it's not because of my viewing habits it's 100 percent of the time it's always because of just you know geo things and it's funny you guys heard you it here the... colonel hates portugal i don't hate portugal i hate portuguese <laughs> <laughs> it's different all of my stuff is in english for many years now actually that's a trip you, you still use portuguese every day don't you well every day like for work stretch. and everything i mean like no i work daily for life. an international company oh so yeah most like I used to work for a Portuguese company, but when you're just like, like slowly self-isolate from your from the country you live in yeah. <laughs> until yeah, you forget yeah, how to talk to anyone. Nah, I just wow. say, well, yeah. I talk like so, I talk to my friends, so that's it. I don't I don't mean to interrupt, but I, Keith just posted the first section of our 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 playthrough of Black Sad on his Patreon, and he was recording it on his on the Discord call. And I'm just noticing that the end of the video for Keith's is works correctly, yeah. but mine didn't on my stream. That's fucked up. <laughs> I told you. I told you that my Discord recording worked fine. I had no idea. Wow. I this told is you with I words. <laughs> I didn't even. I didn't even understand what you were saying. I guess. Yeah. Oh, this is brutal. That's the thing. I can't is it, believe it, this. That, that's that's what that was my evidence that just your recording was fucking up. Like it was like like the, well, I mean like you know the collective everything running at once yeah. was specifically fucking with your obs because like not only was the game running fine on your computer it was running fine on discord so i have a perfectly fine no. recording to just cut to for that chunk no but that's the thing is that the game for me was running like dog shit i mean i could see it but it was not running well and my Wait, so OBS i was getting was... so i was getting it in real time but you on your computer were also watching a slideshow <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah it was going at like 15 frames per second that's, oh, that's I mean, stunned. that's different. That's a low frame yeah. rate is different from the slideshow you were recording. Yeah, but your video looks better than my than what I saw when I was playing. <laughs> so there is something weird going on there. With I think it was the game freaking out that I was recording it on multiple sources. That's wacky. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's it's one of those things where it's like we I feel like you and I and maybe Colonel can can attest to this, but like games will work great until you need to make content out of them with other people because i feel like you and i have had miserable experiences trying to record like co-op <laughs> recordings of things because between fear and hunger and black sad it's a been a nightmare black sad had, know, uh, fear and hunger wasn't even a technical problem it was just a video game problem <laughs> well, I it mean, was old, fear, well, Fear and Hunger had a technical it, it problem where like it just twice. randomly stopped recording your voice at one point for that reasons I don't yeah. fully well, understand. That wasn't, that wasn't Fear and Hunger. That was just your computer was losing its mind. It was seemingly tied yeah. to the fact that your monitors kept turning off over and over again that day. Yeah, yeah. And so something just. But broke. I don't know. I don't know what was up with that, but it only ever happened during Fear and Hunger. It hasn't happened again since. So yeah. If you ever think that a brutal. Let's Player sounds kind of negative or something, sometimes it's because the very act of trying to make Let's Plays is so fucking stressful and full of technical troubleshooting that you're just like, 
by the time you're getting anything done, you're like, do I even record today or do I just give up for this week and come back on a when I'm in a better mood? And just like, literally and just don't I mean, make don't do my weeks. job because people will complain I did my job. But, but like, because if, if you don't do it, people are like, what's wrong with you? You're the easiest job in the world. But then if you do actually commit to bad mood recording, then people are like, what the fuck? Why do you do this? If you're obviously in a bad mood, it just ruins the thing for everyone. It's like you, you can like literally just Aww. be in head spaces that make it impossible to do this. It's weird. That's a nice thing to say though, because like I, when I record it, when I'm in a good mood, it also ruins the things for everyone. It's actually, <laughs> I'm I'm still going through Mass Effect Three. The more energetic I am, and the more like hyped up I am about recording, the more nitpicky I get to the point where I like in editing, I'm like, okay. I, I didn't need to be nitpicky. I was right, but I didn't need to be nitpicky in a row, like <laughs> seven times in a row. Let's take out You're like, the middle. You're having too much fun like, being mean. Yeah, because like every line is, is something to for me to comment on or, you know, I'm just that kind of jerk, really. But it's either like uh, tiny things like maybe the, the pronunciation, the enunciation of a word wasn't correct and it sort of gave me a, a different meaning because it's the meaning that you would think is if you just read the sentence by itself, but in the context, it needed oh, needed yeah. a different denunciation. Or it's stuff like, uh, oh, I, something that grinds my gears, and Mass Effect actually does that quite a lot, is uh, when characters rib on each other. Like, I don't like that in real life, but I, like in, in a, in, from a storytelling perspective, when characters just are mean to each other for fun, it, the game, like, pe people write that as a comedy bit. And I, I, I don't know what kind of I, it's not funny. So I'm saying <laughs> <laughs> you just find it grating. Those kinds so, of interactions yeah, are it, often just lead to sincere bad moods behind the scene, and the person that thinks that it doesn't is often making it worse because they are unaware of how they're 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 like frustrating the people they're talking to. Yeah, yeah. Like Vega and oh, what's his name? I forget the the two guys in the in the engine bay or whatever the last level is of the ship in Mass Effect Three. There's there, there's the James Vega who is a like a companion of of Shepard, and there's the 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 flyer of the of the shuttle, the little shuttle that takes you to the ship to the planets and stuff. And they talk to each other a bunch. Uh, well, at least at the beginning of the game, they talk to each other a bunch. Those are the ones that are that are that uh, that are a little bit ribby ribby. But not, not as bad as that other guy that only talks about, like, pervert stuff. The, um, the one in the actual engine bay, who, who there's two engineers right next to each other. And uh, there's a... It, no, not Garrett. <laughs> no, secondary, <laughs> secondary characters. Secondary characters. The, yeah, uh, there's, there's two I, tech people that are always, like, bantering back and forth because yeah. they're just... They're next to each other. And the later games tried to have people on the ship interact, but they can only really do it... Uh, in really specific canned scenes or by having the people just share a room the entire game. Mm -hmm. And like he's all of his lines are about pervert stuff. Like it's because of boobs. It's because of sex. It's because of a pervert joke. It's and, and the, the other engineer, she asks him to stop a couple of times. Oh, ow. oh bless you. She asks him Thank to you, stop sorry. a couple of times, which makes it bad. Because if she didn't ask him to stop, it'd be like, okay, this is like he's a pervert, whatever, it's fine. But at least you know she's in on the joke or whatever. If even if she's like, ugh, whatever. But no, she asks him to not do it, and he keeps doing it, which is no. <laughs> Annoying. 
Yeah, Mass Effect 3 has, you know, I, I won't get into any spoilers because I know you're not finished with it, but it, I, I didn't even finish almost, the game almost. because I, I quit way too early because I just like got so sick of how that game does dialogue in comparison to the rest of the trilogy. Um, and just for the yeah. simple for the simple reason that uh, for like the first 12 hours of Mass Effect 3, Shepard constantly talks without the player input. Yeah, which yeah, is yeah. weird because the rest of the trilogy, every single line of dialogue Shepard has is chosen by the player. But because Mass Effect 3 is trying to do this like big grand story thing, there is dialogue that like, quote unquote, like has to happen to make things yeah. make sense. And for whatever reason, they just make Shepard the person who says it. So it's weird because you'll play these two games and build your shepherd and build your context around them. And then the third game comes around and they can be just like a completely different character than the person that you played. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, they yeah. just they just like will have dialogue and will say things and do things that you are not playing. Like yeah. it's just like it's so hard to keep consistency when that's happening that I just got irritated at one point. And I think I was on, it was right after Garrus's when you like re-recruiting Garrus or whatever on his like little mm -hmm. war. I was just like, I can't keep playing this because they just constantly are having this character talk and act in a way that is not how I was playing them. Why are they doing this? So I, yeah. I got out of mass effect three early. I did not, I did not like that game whatsoever. I lost my connection to my uh, shepherd in the second game already, so I'm not feeling that as much in the third game, but I definitely see what you mean. It's a very uh, linear game in regards to the dialogues and even the choices yeah. mostly just are, are for flavor. Not all the time, but uh, especially the main choices tend to be actually, you know, choices. Uh, but a yeah. lot of the, the renegade or paragon choices, which are already binary, they're absolutely just flavor a lot of the time uh yeah. you speak of, of garris actually the that was another nitpick that i had he can you believe garris so garris for those who don't know who are not in the know of mass effect he's introduced in the in the first game and it sort of stays with that sort of uh personality throughout the series uh he's introduced as this cop who's willing to go uh, like beyond the rules of of uh the police to catch the criminals and to punish the, the unjust and whatever uh, and he advocates, he says things like, oh, the police, or it's not called police, it's the CSEC or whatever. But he's like, oh, the police should should have more rights to do this or should be able to, should be tougher on crime and all that. So he's that kind of person, uh, is that kind of character. And he has a line in the game um, where he says, um, I can't believe I didn't think of this before, but sometimes the world needs strong rulers to put to put uh, things into in the right way. He says this uh, after like this character. <laughs> he said, like, and like, it, this is in character for him to say something like this. But yes. so, so I don't have a problem with him saying it, but I do have a problem with the first part of that sentence. But he says, I can't believe I, I haven't thought of this before. And I'm like, motherfucker, you've been thinking this, if not saying this outright since the beginning of the series. Yeah. <laughs> like uh. he's, yeah, he's a, He's, he's like, Garrus is like the worst version of Batman where it's like, oh, no, he's like Batman. If Batman literally was <laughs> just like outright, it's like a cop. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. no. Literally, he is a cop. Yeah, yeah.
He's supposed to like yeah. he's definitely supposed to mirror the the protagonist's journey of like this this the core binary that they're trying to set up between like Renegade and Paragate. Renegade and Paragade. <laughs> Drink your Paragade. Uh the Paragon and Renegade situation. Uh oh, so maybe that's why he said that to me, because I'm I'm because renegade. I'm have you renegade. Maybe, yeah. But like Shepard's a cop. Yeah. He Shepard's yeah, a super well. space cop that gets extra space cop rights to be an uh, even better space cop. Well, and then specifically, and then specifically Shepherd is a fed I, that then becomes true. a PMC and then is re, re I, recruited yeah. by the feds to be a super fed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but oh then specifically, like Garrus tries to join you specifically because you have these like extrajudicial powers and wants to become a, a super cop with you essentially and get past all of the uh the stuff that's supposed to hold him in place at all and then like mm -hmm. the core and like to an extent like the core choice in his loyalty mission is whether or not in, in that loyalty in his side quest before they were called loyalty missions in the first game is to make a choice about whether or not he should actually follow through with taking enacting his own justice or not or if he should let go with the system essentially but then in the mm -hmm. next game, he's always he's still always yeah. Seraphim or whatever he's called, like Red Ar Archangel. Like your choice does not affect whether or not he becomes Archangel. And so like a, a general mm. problem throughout all of Mass Effect is that they had the, this ambitious idea to have elements of your choices carry on from game to game. But the most impactful ones are just whether or not characters are alive. And not because that, and I'm aware that they usually replace them with like an, an, an analogous rando character you care less about, like some dude that's a Solarian scientist. Whoa, but like the character you like is still dead in each of those cases. Uh, so yeah. like that's the I most impactful like thing that actually happens. Oh. But oh, aside from character deaths, you get almost no actual like, like you almost never actually have super impactful choices. And one of the roughest things there is that, like, spoilers for Mass Effect earlier on and stuff like that, but, like, I don't need to say the specific thing, but, like, the stuff that happens in, like, the Mass Effect 2 DLCs that sets up Mass Effect 3 and so on, like, literally the most impactful things that Shepard has ever done in the universe, which are massive, massive moral conundrums and worrying, distressing things in many cases, are choices you don't make. And so it's, yeah. like, at that point, it's, like, I'm not surprised that Mass Effect 3 opens with a bunch of linear dialogue kind of just playing out where they're like well this is the one scenario you're in at this point no matter what so here's the functional dialogue that has to happen to move the scene along so we can get back to the part where you play somewhat non-linearly ish uh is because like literally they've already taken the control out of your hands by having the dlcs happen to mass effect 2 that are all canon which are the reason why the beginning of the game in 3 is even happening and you have to have made those choices even and there's no like there was no splitting there it was just so they set up a scenario that to them justified being so obviously the only choice that you have to make no matter what that you become this very specific character that this really specific thing that everyone has a really specific unifying opinion over or that that overrides literally any reputation you would have had for anything else you've ever done because of how much of an act that was so that like honestly the uh the arrival dlc is like the single worst part of the Mass Effect trilogy <laughs> uh, for That's several for reasons. It's or, already or the Mass worst Effect part. Of, it's already the worst part of Mass Effect Two, uh, oh, yeah. just from its writing leading up to that point. But by the end, it's just so bad and does so much damage to the games in its in its in its need to set up the third game that like it's just it would the idea that you're going to make choices was never going to recover from this anyway.
I didn't play the DLCs for Mass Effect 2 because they're not available on, on Steam. So yep. the Steam version, <laughs> which is what most people play, doesn't don't have that. Yep, that's and, a, uh, it, that's a canonical. Like literally, the Mass Effect 3 just opens with the game talking about the Mass Effect 2 DLC, assuming you played it, because it's the entire reason you're there. I didn't really miss. Oh well, I do, I still don't know who the kid is, but I have my theories. And the my kid's, theory, the kid's not from a DLC, but you're on trial okay, for the good. DLC. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay that's why oh, that, that's, that's I, the I can, point of the beginning of mass effect 3 i'm okay with skipping past intro like that sort of thing like i grew up like i started my first baldur's gate is baldur's gate 2 which starts in media res <laughs> uh it's like right right after mass effect 1 or it's actually not right it's it, not mass effect sorry baldur's gate baldur's gate 1 there's like the intro is very it kind of it kind of requires you to know what happened in the first game uh, and I also played Fallout 2 before I played Fallout 1. But um, but Baldur's Gate in particular was like my my first big RPG. I think I played it before. Maybe I don't. I don't know if I did play it before Fallout 2. But either way, it would have been one of the first. And like, I'm okay with missing the context. I'm, I'm there for the, the fun along the way. But, um, but yeah, the, I mean, it was ambitious of them to do Mass Effect in the way that they promised it to be, which is, you know, you play the first Mass Effect, you bring the character throughout the whole trilogy, and your traces matter all throughout the game. Uh, even today, with enormous studios, it would be super ambitious. But I think what really hampered it was the fact that they, the development time was short. They, because they, it was uh, uh, all released in the same console generation. It, it, like, it feels very much like you're playing... I don't know. It feels like you're just playing three games that came out for the Xbox 360, and like all, even down to fundamental design choices and like art styles and stuff like that. Uh, like, like it's very shaped by the cap, the capacity of the console, uh, and maybe that's just because I, I, I can, t I know what the capacities of the console were. But like things like you never fight more than. 10 enemies at the same time and there's a lot of waves of enemies that's just spawn in that's due to the xbox 360 only having half a gig of ram <laughs> it doesn't it can't yeah. process the things um and or or like your characters look very detailed but the world the textures are are very samey and very uh low quality if you look close at them and they have all these tricks and you know, like, it's very well done but they there's have all these tricks to hide gig back then wow it was yeah, it was absurd. It was bad. It was low at the time, uh, but the the like it just people made games with that uh, limitation in mind. These days they have like sixteen gigs, I think, but it's it's still shared. But either way, the the my point is that it feels very much like Mass Effect is a series of games made for a a specific console, not even a specific audience, a specific console. And Mass Effect 3 being kind of feels kind of rushed in that department because, yeah, I mean, I, they couldn't I mean, delay it. Thinking about modern more. video games, it's actually insane thinking that Mass Effect 3 came out only five years after Mass Effect 1. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like, it's yeah, so 100%. wild in modern terms. I kind of, I, I, I miss, I wish games were smaller again. <laughs> like, I, I, I yeah, wish they were, well, they were less overcomplicated and could come out every other year again without it being like this... I mean, the thing, the thing with those games, turn. though, is that they're they're not small. I mean, and this gets to a modern development no, issue. I mean, which is I mean like, that... I don't mean small in scale. I mean, small as in like, 
development production (laughs) yeah 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 no i i hear you i think what i was gonna say is just like people will people think that games have gotten like bigger in terms of like their scope and that's why they take a long time to develop yeah but they haven't the issue is just that like the bar the word I'm going to use here is like a quality bar, but I what I mean by that is not like it's a good game or it's a bad game, but just like the fidelity of things is so much higher and so much more resource intensive that making something now that meets standards takes longer than it used to. And there's obviously yeah. that meme that people post where they're like, I want shorter games made by less people who get paid more to do less. And I mean it like people post stuff like that. But the truth of the matter is that that actually is completely unfeasible because people don't actually want that. Um, yeah. Well, the, the they people probably mean might. that, but, yeah, but yeah. That doesn't, they're not uh, the. Well, like I would demo- take uh, democracy. I would take <laughs> representative Democrat. Fuck. I would take Pentiman. I would take Pentiment over Outer Worlds. Sure, oh, but Pentiment world, took yeah, forever to develop as well. Like, that's but it's the a theme of like getting twenty people. Sure, it was made by twenty people, but it also took, I think, many multiple years to make. Yeah, and was a yeah. grueling process. So, like the the no overtime though they didn't do churns no or, or not churn. Uh, that's what's that's called? great. But what I'm saying is like the the era of making a game in a year just is regardless of what your scope is basically impossible now because of all of the different aspects of of game making that you need to do to even get something released nowadays um it is not as simple as just like game jamming out a game with you and your four buddies in a garage anymore like the way that games were made in the 90s and the early 2000s is just fundamentally not possible with the amount of resources you need to even put out something that like might not even be technologically advanced anymore like it is Mm -hmm. hard to get a game out in that amount of time nowadays especially with the amount of scrutiny that games have on them um and that's not you know defending the buggy you know terrible state of triple a gaming uh but it is one of those things where it's like when people say like, oh, I want smaller games and I want them to come out more quickly. It's like there is a barrier now. I think people don't understand what they're asking for when they say something like that. And they also don't know. Uh, they don't know exactly the reasons why games take so long to make and why they're so expensive and, and all the work that goes into it, especially when people are like, oh, game budgets are too big. Why does why does Assassin's Creed have a 40 million bazillion dollar budget? But then at the same time, they're like, we want our dev. We want devs to be paid well. And it's like, yeah, but what do you think the budget comes from? Like that is paying people's salaries. That's expensive. <laughs> like that is what it is. Uh, and yeah. even then, they're still not being paid enough. So it's like I think there's a gap in knowledge between what people say they want and what they actually want when it comes to video games and game design, uh, just because like the entire market has changed from what we were used to when we were making really tangible, concrete, you know, progress year over year with with old consoles and older games uh, and, and just development practices in general. I think the PC games in particular have a 
yeah are are very different than console games so yes. what i'm about to say is mostly about pc games um yep. but with time and this i think it was always going to happen uh with time there's a bigger divide between the the tr- between AAA and indie developers and smaller games uh yeah. what happens is what happens is so there's there's this reality with when a new game comes out it's competing with a backlog of games that yes. have exi- that you can play games with 20 years to, that are that came out 20 years ago or maybe more and those and new games come out and if they're not as good as that then yeah you might as well play the old one right uh yeah. but w- the word here is as good as what does it mean to be as good as and that's where yeah. i think the divide comes up uh because in triple a terms for a long time all that it, uh, they, they banked on the graphics so much because it was the easy sell like marketing would do its job so people could see the game and that you know could have eyes on it and be like okay this game is coming out why would i play it and then they they have good graphics so it might as well my, you know the 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 marketing relies on that and then people yep. start start gauging their they're buying their their purchasing decisions based on what marketing shows right which is normal yeah, uh, and it doesn't. It doesn't mean that the new Far Cry is better than the original Far Cry, and and people might still like the old Far Cry better than they do the new one. But they still buy the new the new game because it's you know it's it's another one to play, and maybe they replay the old one every once in a while. But AAA games rely so much more on or have relied so much more on graphics than indie games because they can just throw money at the at the wall. And then yeah. just be in, in, in balloon the development cycle. That doesn't I, work uh, as well in indie games because the the yeah the marketing is not there to help them out, and also because they can't necessarily as easily have good graphics. So what what happens is that indie audiences are just they they they're self filtered, or at least this is the way I perceive it anyway. Indie audiences are self filtered to be more discerning of what they play. So yeah. basically, a non-discerning player can like indie games just as much as a discerning player, you know, because tastes mm-hmm. are relative and everybody likes what they like. But a non-discerning player is not going to look out for indie games. They're not going to be all, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to read the forums. I'm going to be on like reading the news or what what is being developed, and and like they're not going to find the 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 hidden gems that are out there for for indie we, games. We had right? something pretty depressing about this like dynamic happened like last week where uh, I was doing a vote for the next indie game and I just kind of threw Hi-Fi Rush in there because it clocked as one and I didn't really look that closely because I'm doing blind let's plays and all that and it won the vote and not a single person questions its inclusion in the poll. And it's literally from the creators of Evil Within. Like, it's not an indie game in any universe. But it's like, AAA games are so homogenous in their appearances and their production that this game just not looking like that. Like, well, it's obviously an indie game. And, like, none of us checked. (laughs) Well, so... I have, like, a... I have a a take on this that I think is kind of different from what both of you have to say about it, but... I think that this in itself is sort of a false dichotomy um, because we, you know, we just said like, oh, AAA games like look really homogenous. 
um, and indie games like don't have to use their graphics for marketing. But actually, I think most indie games really do market themselves off their graphics. It's just they're not marketing themselves off of realism or like high fidelity oh, yeah. graphics. Yeah. yeah, a lot of them you are know, specifically like, chasing a, a certain aesthetic that sells. A certain aesthetic. 100%. Exactly. It's like how and the so entire early generation of Kickstarter video games were all uh, tabletop. Are, uh, they were all uh, yep. top-down isometric CRPGs over and over and over and over again because yes. they were marketing to a very specific dim uh, underserved market. Well, I mean, you have that. You have that. Like, kind of. Uh, I say this endearingly because I've played most of them, but like, artsy gimmick-based physics sad platformers are like <laughs> literally a genre in and of themselves. And I'm sure that me saying that. A, the idea of a game or what a game like that looks like popped into your head like of course we you know games indie games as well are chasing you know graphical graphical fidelity it's just a different kind of fidelity um and there is uh there is sort of a a scale here of just like ever increasing change where it's like limbo i don't think would sell as well today versus all of these like these games that have been announced just this past year that are like well this is like the embroidery sad platformer and this is the sad platformer that's entirely 2d animated and this one was animated on cells it's like when i hear all that stuff it all is just saying like we're doing better graphics now but with an art style instead of just going for like more polygons which is fine like it's creative it's cool but it's I, it's still ultimately the same cynical like chasing chasing something shiny i think um that that people accuse triple yeah. a games of being and uh it, in that regard it's it's kind of it's kind of strange to be in this spot we're in right now with modern games because I don't actually think that fidelity is like a problem. Like if someone tells me, you know, $60 million of the latest Assassin's Creed budget goes into it looking good, like, okay, cool. Like good graphics are cool. Like I'm not, I'm not going to sit here on a pedestal and be like, no, good graphics aren't cool. But also I know that people have a very bad memory of like what, technology has progressed in and like people have a really poor memory of uh of understand uh, of like what graphics even look like when elden ring came out people were saying it looked like a ps3 game and i was like you don't <laughs> remember what the ps3 that, looks that's like. wild like you people literally needs to be don't sat know. down in front of a copy of two he, human yeah exactly like people don't remember at all or like uh there was there was a game recently i can't remember exactly what it was but it it came out and someone was like man like th low poly 3d like this is so embarrassing like we got past this in the n64 era and i remember thinking like fuck man i wish the n64 looked this good <laughs> like oh my god <laughs> like you do not remember what it was like to play these games so like it's just there's all, also yeah, just yeah. the fact that like people don't connect with the past so when people are saying like i want worse looking games made by less like teams of lesser people that are paid more to do less and i'm serious about it like i'm like bro i know for a fact you've never played an n64 game you are lying to yourself when you say that because i see how people react 
when they see a game that looks like maybe a generation behind people are like oh man bloodborne is unlookable it's it's terrible look it looks like a ps2 game and i'm like what are you talking about (laughs) you are you truly have no frame of reference for what old games are like you know these so-called graphical like worst graphical fidelity games look like uh and it's just like it all goes back to the fact that people don't play games that aren't new even people who say that they're like retro enthusiasts or people who say that they like all video games from all eras 95 percent of the games that they're playing are like really heavily recency biased uh yeah and this is less so on pc because obviously on pc things have a longer shelf life um but for the most part like with console generations getting longer like people just don't have the exposure to older games uh to understand how far the games have evolved and like what they're asking for when they say like i want x y or z i think old games uh, their their appeal to the wider audience is always going to be reliant on either nostalgia Mm-hmm. Or gameplay, because like yeah, uh, maybe there's exceptions uh, to this, but like, what? How else would 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 people keep going back to to old games? Like, everyone is going to be a video game historian, like we are. You know, like not everyone is playing <laughs> them to understand game design or like how things have evolved or whatever. It's totally true. Yeah, yeah. I'm more nostalgic and about play- old gameplay design than actual graphics or anything like it's just there's such a lean towards infinity games just games that you play forever to the point where they're making genres that yeah. aren't meant for that also that and i'm just like man like i yeah. the fact that that like i know there's like a hundred other reasons to be mad obviously but the fact that people wanted overwatch 2 to be destiny and not left for dead when that's clearly what the game is actually like, that's clearly the strong suit of everything that they've actually made about Overwatch multiplayer or, or uh, campaign yeah. stuff. It's it clearly its strong suit would be to be some kind of like Left for Dead style thing where you're playing these campaign missions and there's some variability to how they play out and you can play them as different characters. But like it's a co-op like struggle session you'll have to get from point a to point b collectively and together and things will try to disable you and so on like that's clearly the strength of the game and left for dead never would have benefited from being destiny and having orange guns and purple guns and stuff like so the fact that that's what people are sad about i'm like people don't i just don't see people thinking about the actual points of or strengths and weaknesses of video games anymore and like what the intended oh, no, gameplay style is because they just want well, Skinner boxes and progressions and microtransactions and like the, yeah, well, people the horse armor play games. became the core gameplay at some point instead of the thing to be yeah. mad about. People yeah. want to yeah. play games with their brains turned off. Like that's what they're like, oh, I work a hard job and I come home and I want to sit down on my couch and I want to see the numbers go up. And it's like, all right, cool. But, you know, that's what the most are the for. price we pay. <laughs> I think I think in regards to Overwatch, and, and, and I don't know that we talked about this when we talked last week or a couple of weeks back about this. Um, they had the, the plan, the original plan when they made Overwatch was to have uh, three games, three distinct games, and that that they release, and the next one sort of encompasses the previous one. And I think that's what uh, Keller meant when he said we're going to redefine the sequel. 
uh, and I, I haven't seen people, many people talk about this, but basically, what, what, so what I understand, uh, and people have talked about this that I'm about to say, uh, is the walk run, no, sorry, crawl walk run development cycle or development ethos that, uh, that, uh, not Obsidian, what's the name of the company? Blizzard. The Blizzard had with Overwatch. Their idea was that Overwatch 1 was going to be the, the sort of Counter-Strike the style game that Overwatch is. That Overwatch, that then they would, it would allow them to make a sort of looter, shooter, grinder game similar to Destiny or something like that. That would be their, their second iteration. And then they would come to the, the, the full fruition of, the, of their vision, which would be an MMO style shooter. Uh, which would, which would be the 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 run, so the the crawl, walk, run cycle that that I mentioned, and I think that's what yeah. Keller meant by redefining the sequel was being like, okay, you think you think this is gonna be a sequel to this game, but actually we just had so much more in store for you, and like this original, this super mega hit that Overwatch One was. It's just like the multiplayer mode of our game or the, the mm-hmm. player versus player mode of our game. Um, which I th- like, I, th- I don't think that's a good idea, honestly. I, I, no. like, because it shapes, like when you release a, a, such a niche kind of mode of your game first, it shapes the perception of the, pub- the public it has does. of your game. It's yeah, not completely. like imagine Resident Evil re- releasing their multiplayer mode first, and then it, the campaign. Yeah, imagine like, Outbreak being the first Resident Evil game. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, there's just like a struggle the, where like oh, everyone in Overwatch as a character is pretty much all designed specifically around having really strengths, really specific strengths and weaknesses, and mobility, and like pacing. The characters all have pacing to how they play moment yeah, to yeah. moment, and how you, and like the uptime and downtime you need to have in order to make them not just melt constantly and so on. Like they're so specifically designed to be what is, in my opinion, one of the most compelling multiplayer versus experiences that does exist. Like it's really, really interesting how these characters can interact. And like the moment you play a really grindy PVE sitting situation, like when I played certain PVE levels of over that have come out in the past for overwatch and they make me play Ash and I'm like, Oh Wow. You sure feel how long she has to reload when it's not the downtime between fights in a PvP game, but is instead like, uh, like it's it's not like like in a PvP match. It's like here's how many bullets I have to try to end this fight essentially, and she has like mm-hmm. like she's like twelve or fifteen. It's a lot, and like there's only so many it's enemies, 13, and, I think. and so like it changes every week. Uh, yeah, that's true. It's, 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 it's been all of these numbers. It used uh, to be yeah. It used to be fifteen. But like she has a bunch of bullets and she can two shot a lot of characters and so on. And it's like it's a punishment for failing to finish the fight, essentially, is that you now have to reload and she reloads one shot at a time. <laughs> Very like not as slow as some games, but still it's it's the, it's the longest reload in all of Overwatch. Yeah, it's like nine seconds or something. But it makes sense. perfect it's, sense I mean, yeah, in a PvP like game. It makes perfect sense in a PvP game. In a of PvE course. game where you fight waves of robots for like 10 minutes straight, it hits you hard that you're like, oh... I didn't even like fuck up. I just, it's time to, I just have to ration reloading into my constant play style of this game in a way that no other character has to because this game is now endless robot waves instead of PvP. And that's fundamentally a different context to play this character in. And do I want to play this character in this mode? And so, like, the idea of 
turning the game into a grindy MMO that's about repetition robs so many of those characters of their fun in a way that like making it a, a, a like a survival horror <laughs> is obviously not correct terminology, but like having giving it that like survival horror struggle vibe of like a Left 4 Dead co-op experience where like, yeah, we've played we've at least those, those of us that have a, had a chance to actually play them in the tiny windows there. They exist because of how stupid video games are now. Uh, that have played the PVE missions on hard together and experienced ha like the the struggle of like oh fuck oh fuck oh fuck I get my teammates back up and oh it's like the dominoes that start falling when one person really goes hard. down like those are like, really hard missions like having it be a cool co-op struggle is way more interesting than uh, than turning into some Dancing boring MMO that is inherently about turning off your mind and just repetitively playing for hundreds of hours and robbing all of these characters of their identity and probably giving them upgrades that smooth over all of their weaknesses to the point where they don't have a personality to begin with like can't wait to see like i think like were people looking forward to 500 health tracer like is, is that what they were hoping like grinding <laughs> i'm and upgrades looking forward would do? to 500 health tracer <laughs> let me have 500 health tracer with a 120 clip uh, round clip please i i i honestly think the that the, they focus so much on the upgrades and buffs in yes. like i think that it was a it was a hole i don't I, I don't really see that it would have been very enjoyable to me i would have preferred something like i don't know maybe ash picks up a soldier 76's gun and just has the coach gun and so was soldier 76 gun or or farah all of a sudden i want has tracer a, with farah's rockets yeah so like <laughs> anna anna picks up picks up the 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 suit for from Farah and just starts flying all over the shop with her sniper. Those <laughs> like those combined character combined mods. things like that, like that would be more interesting in the sense that like it would still allow customization and progression, but at least it wouldn't be. It would allow you to to just sort of experiment a, a little more. Um, obviously, you like we're talking about a game that is never going to exist, but I I feel that. I, I totally agree with you that it's uh, the characters are designed for PvP and them trying yeah. to use the same design for PvE is is the folly. It's bad. There's but ways to at least so try like... to do it, but they have to be about interesting controlled engagements that are about reading your enemy and figuring out how to interact with them as opposed to what most MMOs are, which is just fucking mindlessly chugging away at like Diablo style, at just hordes of yeah. things and getting rewarded. But even that, well, that there's in, also the, a question of onboarding is like, do, do the players. Oh, that's you know, their what, biggest what, weakness. <laughs> yeah. Like what, it, what, what Colonel, I think, is talking about as well is like if the sequel is always going to be a bigger, you know, redefined game experience where it like expands into a wider net of, of gameplay mechanics and modes. You know, investors, especially at companies like this, are always asking, like, how do we how do we capture a new audience how do we make sure that people know how to play this how do we make sure that the player base keeps coming back and the answer is always tiered onboarding of like okay we'll teach the players how to play this way and then they'll be you know the new mode will be added and then they'll learn how to play that one based on how they know how to play the original and then there's this idea of like exponential growth. I mean, go figure. This is like late capitalism, but this idea that this exponential growth will always continue moving upward because of the assumption that people who played the first game will always move forward and then new people will not be lost in that. So you get this weird sort of funnel approach to design that I think creates these cascading issues that you see. 
Uh, it's what I, especially it's with what, what like would have been so good about having a good PVE mode and not a shitty grinding thing, but, a, but like an actual real mode that's available to everyone that plays the game and actually works on some level. Is it like that would have been an onboarding thing like that would have been a chance to in a less stressful context, try out characters and get a feel for how the game can play and then take that into PVP the way that you do like a shooter campaign in like Halo and so on. It's like I desperately sure. wanted a campaign for so many of these things. And what struggled, what I struggled with was the fact that like they even had this really specific, interesting mechanic that where they were like, okay, when you start playing Overwatch, we're not, we're only, we're, and, you, it, like, and you're not an Overwatch one player, which means that none of us have actually experienced it for the most part. But brand new Overwatch two players, their roster is locked to only a handful of characters. And as they play, more of the characters unlock. And I'm like, that would have been good for the PVE mode. If it existed, yeah. like ha yeah. like f funneling people into the simpler characters like Farah and Soldier, and then slowly like pulling that back and having the the primary feeling of progression instead of being some some sort of stupid grinding, instead be ah, there's even more insane characters to try now. Would have been really thing, compelling, but we're never getting that approach to that game, and it's so frustrating. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying there. I, I do think that there's one thing, and I don't mean to interrupt, but I just want to, I really want to make sure that this is said. Yeah, like, yeah. this is, what you are saying is true, Keith. This does sound like a great idea. But there is also the problem that there has, and I'm going to say this very broad strokes, but it's not wrong. There has never been a competitive PvP multiplayer game whose single player accurately trains people how to play that PvP game. It has no. never happened. <laughs> It yeah. has never existed, yeah. and it, it is an impossible golden egg that studios have been chasing for 30 I years. I don't think they – well, Blizzard doesn't chase that. I don't – like, no. I, I was going to say that. Will, I agree. I, I was going like, to talk about – this shows they very purposefully are not chasing that anymore. Yeah. But, <laughs> but like, I was going to talk precisely about that. Uh, the, yeah. There's the, – the biggest progression that you can make in Overwatch, like, obviously, learning the characters is important. Um but I think it's more important understanding fundamental, and when I say Overwatch, I mean I, I really mean any shooter. But uh, the fundamental pacing and 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 principles, or the fundamentals of a shooter, basically things like uh, what peeking out of hard cover means, using hard cover, yeah, having an escape plan, or understanding Reacting to opponents, <laughs> yeah, yeah, understanding what they're what they're what the opponent is going to do, what the opponent is thinking, how to exploit. Uh, off angles or or what flanks uh, are good for like basic stuff that no game ever teaches you and you need to look up other people that actually know all this stuff because they share they talk and they, they're like either pro players or they're just very experienced good players like i played for i, I said i said this before i played like 200 hours of, of lucio and I re really didn't need to know a lot of that stuff because Lucio's gameplay style is so different from everybody else in the roster. Yeah. Um, but also, like, Blizzard never teaches anybody that. Like, earlier today, I was playing in, in Quick Play, uh, and uh, I, I get matched up with many, many different people, but I was, I was playing support, and, um, and my Sojourn was Grandmaster. I didn't, I didn't know she was Grandmaster uh, until we talked. Uh, but basically, we well, we engage, and I was trying to take an off angle with Kiriko. Uh, Kiriko is it's, it's she can teleport, so you can risk those off angles. And you just see Sojourn getting out of cover while being shot at, and dropping down into the open space. 
And I'm like, okay, that's that's a bronze player. I just, uh, you know, you see that a lot in quick players. <laughs> that's just the noob, right? And I immediately dis- disregarded her as, uh, uh, you know, it's another one. I'm not going to go out of my way to pocket her or anything. <clears throat> and, it's, and we lost that round. We were just, you know, we did, it didn't go too well. Um, so what she was failing to do, or at least failed to in that particular moment that I paid attention, uh, was to, you know, using hardcover and having a uh, an escape plan. And the sojourn can can sort of rocket jump, so the escape plan was kind of there, but uh, she just died immediately. It was it was terrible terrible move because she has she's long range. You can you can just stay behind cover. It's fine. Um, and then she said, "Can somebody go mercy to pocket me uh, in quick play?" Which is a little bit weird. I just said, "No, you're suicidal." <laughs> and I just went. I just went with the Kiriko again. Um. And she checked up my uh, my rank, and I'm, I'm gold. Uh, and she was like, "Hey, you're gold, lol, or whatever." Uh, and I'm like, I, "I I blocked her immediately. I don't have time for that." After the game, I went and checked her rank, and what like she's grandmaster or she, masters? It's masters, not grandmasters. She's grandmaster because she has good aim. So you know, the, you can <laughs> yeah. care, good aim carries you, and I'm sure she does. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm sure she wasn't carried to masters or anything. Uh, but it absolutely happens that different people have different skills, and in particular, aim can carry you so much in Overwatch 2 in particular rather than Overwatch 1, because Overwatch 1 relied a lot more on playstyle, on team playstyle. But, like, the game, doesn't, the game doesn't require you. It's not even about teaching. The game doesn't require you to learn basic stuff like taking cover or not dropping or not being suicidal or staying up time or, or regrouping or, or lo- understanding when a team fight is lost. And you watch the, the, the top 500 players and they do that like a second second nature to them. They don't even bring, they they don't even talk about oh let's let's uh, kite this this uh, alt or let's uh, just sort of like we lost our our Anna. Let's give up a little bit of space so that we can wait for Anna to respawn. Like so they sometimes do, but like it's so so innate to them that they understand yeah. the game in a completely different level. And then new players are just like W keying into the the fray, and if they die, it's because Overwatch, their healers didn't heal them. I mean, Overwatch or, gives you, you zero know. tools to learn the game whatsoever. Like they just give you yeah. five hundred characters, and then yeah. you play some matches, and you win or lose, and you don't know why. Like that's why. And nobody knows. Nobody Toaster knows. couldn't play the game anymore because he's like, I I can't tell if I'm winning or losing because of me or how to change or what impact I'm having on the round and so yeah. on. And like, yeah, I was playing yesterday with Jericho and like we had so <laughs> many just suicidal Reinhardts just charging. They would spawn immediately charge out of spawn and then charge around corners and just disappear into the enemy team and then die instantly over and over again. And yeah. and uh, invariably they tend to be they what they 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 end the round by losing getting play of the game and blaming their team because mm-hmm. the the feedback of the game is so bad that in moments like that like it's like okay well they're feeding and they're playing terribly and they're the only tank so they're literally sabotaging their entire team but if they get the right 20 seconds of swinging into the entire enemy team just enough without being uh, wiped out immediately they instantly lock and play of the game because it's just a flat scoring system without context especially if they use their old it's like yeah. they desperately need yeah. to change the play of the game algorithm because I know that's part of the identity of the game, so they don't want to get rid of it. But like, one, it should probably only be given to people who uh, win that round, 
uh, and two, it should probably be in some sort of close proximity to scoring a point or making some kind of actual objective progress because <laughs> it's like, like it's like a the, Reinhardt the can charge into the enemy team into, into and the never even push the objective a centimeter, but because they be enough people stood in their hammer at the same time, even if they didn't necessarily yeah. kill them, it's like enough damage collectively that it's like congratulations, play of the game. You yeah. you were the good player. Everyone else was bad. Is what the game's telling the person who actively sabotaged the match. And I'm like, I that's mean, one. Of, that's one of the only pieces of feedback the game yeah. gives you, and you can't learn from it. And, and similarly, like yeah. the the scoreboard is not useful. No, that's bad. Yeah. You're not the same person. I think about this all the you're time. You're not Halo man. Regards. You're not old John Spartan yeah. Halo man with, with yeah, the same tools and things available to yeah. you. So yeah. People will be like, why yeah. is Mercy have low healing? It's because Mercy has low healing because we're winning this match currently and she's damage boosting the whole time and that's not on the, the leaderboard. Why is yeah, why does Widow have low damage? Because yeah. Widow kills people in one hit and you can't do more health. You can't do more damage <laughs> than somebody's health bar if you kill them in one hit. The people with high damage aren't killing people effectively. They're just spamming damage and it's getting healed. And like, But like that, it takes 10 minutes just to explain how many things are wrong with people's core assumptions. Like I've had matches where I'm yelled at for being Baptiste and all I'm doing is healing and I'm told that, and people are complaining that I'm not healing. And it's like, I can't help but tell you, I just have to tell you this, that like I, this isn't an MMO. The supports cannot just look at a tank and choose that to not let them die, essentially, the way that you, like, that's not how MMO healing works either, but that's almost how it works by comparison to Overwatch. Like, you essentially functionally make, make the tank go, stay up forever because they mostly stand still and cycle cooldowns, and it, they don't have to, like, do what you do in Overwatch as a tank. Like, tanks are not just a thing yeah. that soaks infinite damage, and the support, if the support's are doing their job, you, you just never well, die Well, you is. Orisa. Not even Orisa. We, Jericho, I got to see an Orisa that just runs forward and attacks endlessly, and it is hell. Well, it's like, she, it does well, not that's work. A bad, that's a bad Orisa. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is there's so much more that goes into tanking than that, and there's so much more that goes into healing, and you only get an, uh, even begin to start getting an understanding of how to play the game when you play every yeah. role the way I do, and you start to get it. And I'm not saying I'm a master of the game in, in any way, but I understand a lot more about why things are failing a lot of the time. And mm -hmm. the difficulties each individual character faces because, like, the entire game is so asymmetrical and not in, like, the, oh, it's a five on one monster game, but, like, no, it's like there are 33 separate characters that don't play like each other. And you need to learn all of them to understand what's happening to your teammates. Uh, and, yeah. like, every game just evol devolves into a fundamental misunderstanding that you don't have time to explain. But also, if you try to explain it, people will just be mad at you. Because I, I was like, I even tried to explain that in that match. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, but like, I'm literally only healing. And that, like, a, a support character can't just choose to make someone unkillable. That's not how this works. Like, you have to also mitigate damage yourself and, and, th and, can't, and think about sight lines. And, and, they're all, and their big brain super thought was like, oh, you're playing Baptiste. You can literally make someone not killable. Like, it's, yeah, yes. One little, on the one, one little circle yeah, that exists for two difficult. seconds and has five feet of range and you walk out of. Yeah, that, that'll, that's invulnerability. Thanks for zeroing in on the core of this discussion and not like a pointless dead end that just kills the discussion and, and no one of us learn anything and we don't fix the problem. It's it's such I, a struggle. Like, I, ju I just want to play with the same yeah. two people forever. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they are introducing a mode where you can, it's only 5v5, it's only groups of five, and that's 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 looking interesting. But the, but it, it, you're totally right in, in, in saying that people don't understand why they lose. The game doesn't yeah. teach them that that's the problem. It's not the people's fault, although 
some people are jerks and then it's yeah. their fault. But like it happens often to me that I um like I, I if when I play support I uh, I I always try to synergize with the tank first unless uh we have a fire or something and then I go mercy. Um and um unless I'm just grinding battle pass experience in which case I go mercy because it's a no brain. But the um the, the 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 amount of times I'm playing Kiriko or Anna and like there nobody is killing the back line, just nobody is shooting the back line. The back line is all the like the back line of the enemy is all the way in the back. Especially in attack, this happens a lot. And so like there's there's a Kiriko and an Anna all the way in the back, just healing the, the DPS and healing the tanks, and nobody's attacking that. And there, like, there's a junk rat spamming chokes or whatever. There's a Genji trying to not die or whatever. And uh, and uh, they and they eventually dying because obviously when it's a war of attrition it's sort of it's difficult to keep up, and people are like you're not healing enough and I switch to Zen I go Zen and then I start attacking the back line and doing like right hand uh, a right click which is like a, a full a full volley of of, uh, of projectiles that mostly insta kills anybody that is not paying attention to you and I just kill their Ana and like open the fight all of a sudden and as I like with Zen you mostly only need one or two um throughout the game mostly only need one or two uh, uh kills to really that really make a difference obviously zen does so much damage is incredible but like it, it because there's no damage drop off and your dps is already putting pressure on so many people nobody's looking at you <laughs> so you just kill their backline and it's great um Obviously, it doesn't work all the time because I'm not the best player ever. But people ask for, you need more heals. And I go into the character that heals the least, and then we win. This happens a lot. Like, I would say, <laughs> like I would say, uh, when I switch to Zen, half the time we win because I switch to Zen. And the other half the time, not, there's nothing can, you can do. Uh, but, yeah, it's just people thinking one thing because the game, if you, they press tab, they chose, it shows that you heal less, right? Um, so it's not good. Zen is not good, but no, it's open. It opens the fight. One of the things I think about with this sort of thing as well, in like just teaching people how to play a game in a way that's hard. And obviously, I'm gonna go back to fighting games because they're the genre I'm good at. But like Street Fighter V launched disastrously. Um, it had no uh, story mode. Its arcade mode was like a like a eight round survival game. Like it wasn't even arcade mode. It was survival. So you like go into each round with less health depending on how you get Ooh. hit and stuff. Um, and uh, it was just online, basically. It's like all you could do was online and versus. And this was terrible for Street Fighter as a commercial product because people tell themselves, you know, oh, I just want to play the single player. Like, I just want to play arcade mode and I want to practice before I go online. But uh, in reality, like single player modes like that uh like arcade mode and um you know or like an adventure mode like in like in a smash game or something like that are really 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 bad ways to practice because they will teach you really bad habits and you won't be checked by them um mm. and it creates a system where players who go to go online do really well in single player and they're like oh like i mean this happens in smash all the times uh but like smash players will be like oh yeah like 
I bet I could win like a smash tournament. Like I can beat level nine CPUs. I do four versus one or three versus one on a level nine CPUs and I beat them all every time. And then they go to their first local and they get absolutely molly walloped by someone who can just fucking space their moves and like who can like punish. And that's all you have to do. Um, and yeah. so it's like a, it's like a forever problem um, of people. It all boils down to ego is like a really big thing. It's like, People think they deserve wins and they don't like to feel quote unquote embarrassed. Um, and so they're hesitant to play the game as it is designed. Um, and this goes for all multiplayer games. Doesn't matter if it's Team Fortress 2, doesn't matter if it's uh if it's the Street Fighter, if it's Guilty Gear, if it's Smash. Uh, no one likes losing in a thing, especially if they think they're good at something because it challenges their perception of themselves and where they land but it creates this issue where now developers are chasing this idea of like okay so we need this single player to cater to people and it will be our onboard into our multiplayer but there has never actually been a good onboard experience from a single player campaign to an online campaign um and granted new fighting games at least like street fighter do a really good job of having like combo trials that actually teach you like this is your punish that you use on like a counter hit this is what you want to use when you're like spacing people out this is what you want to use when you're doing x y or z um, and there are like character guides and stuff that teach you they're all part of the single player campaign but um but in the end like truly there's always going to be a gap between how people approach things in the privacy of a solo mode or a single player campaign and how they approach them when they're online. And I, I just don't know if there's any way to actually bridge that gap. I think that world tour mode, the, the new campaign in street fighter six is, is getting pretty close to doing about as good as one can do, but it still is going to teach people bad habits because nothing in single player, like there's no way to program an AI that thinks like a human in terms of a fighting game. Like, you, you all they can really do is just make the AI predict your moves faster or like read your inputs better and block better and stuff like that. Like, but that doesn't actually map to what is good and what makes a makes your counterplay good in an actual PvP match. I mean, I think that Overwatch, especially, but like all first person shooters, especially competitive shooters, have that problem where it's like you will always run up to a genuine logistics issue of like no one has cracked ai that thinks like humans do and pvp and and playing against other people is all about understanding those other people and understanding what their goals are and understanding what they're going to try to do and yeah, there's no, there's it's no the way struggle to that's happened since i was eight years old and played age of empires 2 and beat the entire campaign and they're like this was a fun game about slowly building up a hundred farms and one billion troops and then mm -hmm. bulldozing the map and then cutscenes mm -hmm. happen sometimes and then you play online and you get slaughtered in three minutes you're like by like imperial cavalry and i'm like i'm not even in the stone age yet <laughs> yeah, i don't understand exactly. what's happening i mixed up password and username when i was making my account i'm never playing this game again <laughs> in my offense it wasn't they were they didn't need to be called power uh password and username they were like id and something like there was like two different other words and i couldn't tell which one was which all i remember is that once upon a time i named my uh age of empires account e5g3 because i thought i was making up a password 
and I played one round and got <laughs> slaughtered instantly and never played an online uh, RTS again. Mm-hmm. And like, Definitely. And yeah, like yeah they, don't, they don't tend to prepare you for anything. Example. But you, they, the most they can do is get you comfy playing the video game. Like, yep. like, like Halo campaign could, like, does not prep you for Halo multiplayer exactly, but it does make you familiar with every weapon in Halo and how to use all of them. And it slots not that unnaturally into hopping into Slayer, where you then just fight other Halo mans with those guns in some maps that are different from the campaign ones, but they're still just maps. So you just kind of go. Yeah. But I think I think a real-time strategy definitely could... I mean, it's not as hard of a genre as it used to be, but it, it definitely could have an onboarding for new players, for multiplayer specifically, that at least gives them a sense of what's going on. And what uh, to expect, yeah. And what to expect, yeah. So, like, having a mode where you see your, uh, like, optimal resource growth and what you, like, and have always a graph on screen showing you a bar going up and the bar of your actual resources going up. So you can see, compare yourself to what other opponents that are playing optimally are going to get. Because that's yep. that's a big thing with resource based rts Here's your progression cap how to get there <laughs> like, yeah so like people make decisions based on things like okay i like this strategy because it gets me a little bit fewer resources by minute seven but I, it allows me to scan the, the, the map a little bit better and so they make decisions based on the map they're playing based on that or make risky decisions based on the player that they're playing against or the race or whatever and like right. that's so far out of the the anything the game teaches you just but the game games could just show you like what what you should be doing which is you know having resources at least in the, in the case of starcraft is just having yeah. a lot of resources that have a lot of units and having a, like it's not really about actions per minute so much as having a plan because if you're like yeah, thinking oh plan. do i want an scv going for maximal utility and stuff yeah that's why a game like overwatch is just so insane because it's like yeah it's tutorial is basically like, here's soldier. Here's how you walk and shoot in a first person shooter. Okay, you're ready for multiplayer, go. <laughs> like, yeah. like they don't even begin <laughs> to introduce like no part of like every single basic, just the most basic elements. Like what is a team fight? What is regrouping? Like what? What is yeah. like? What is resetting? Like why would you intentionally Honestly, die to make the next fight start sooner and so on? All of those basic concepts do not exist in the video game we're playing. Yeah, yeah. And it, and this, it makes uh, no attempt to teach you that. You have to go like, and since you can't like learn it from other players in a match, you just have to like find, just know to check out a YouTuber that has the right advice and hope they're the most right one to learn yeah, what the how the community absolutely. thinks, and then still always go forward hoping that at least some of the people in that match have also watched that youtuber and have the same understanding of what game you're supposedly playing because you can never stop to talk to anyone because it's a fucking melange of random people you've never seen before and never will see again but they could yeah. they could ha they should have stuff for that it's i like i understand that some ethereal concepts are very difficult to on board to a worldwide audience but basic yeah. stuff like orisa please don't 1v5 with your ult you are going to die <laughs> everybody else is dead please do not press q or moira it's orisas and moiras they always do that but graves my hole and everybody's dead like there yeah. she goes it's so hard <laughs> well, well, say glaze my hole like yeah i don't know what she says <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it's a family podcast <laughs>
Uh, one of the things that I think about recently with regards to this, though, is I've been playing some extraction shooters with um, with Andrew because we're both interested in Marathon when it comes out, and I want to understand the genre. So I played the tutorial of Rainbow Six Extraction, and it's just incredible how much better it is than most like first-person shooter tutorials. Same with Hunt Showdown. Like The tutorial oh, yeah. of that game yeah. teaches you how to play that game. And I was like genuinely impressed by it. I was like, wow. Like, I'm not going to be good at this immediately off the bat, but like, I feel like I understand what's happening and like how to make decisions and yeah, stuff. Yeah, because it gives you like a bot match cool. that actually explains like moment to moment, like, okay, here's like how you attract the monster and here's what it's like to fight the monster and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy Jimmy asks, have you been reading any interesting books lately? I'm hard shifting the topic because I do want to talk about this. I also, um, I was eyeing that because I'm like, this is like the first question that is podcastable they've all been answerable yeah. with one word or sentence so far yeah i have uh i've been reading a few books um because i read a lot uh i have been reading scorch atlas because my copy of scorch atlas just came out uh or got in uh shout outs to cloud cuckoo country for telling me to read it it's pretty good uh it's very it's very weird and unsettling and uncomfortable but uh it's neat I, I like it a lot. Uh, so look that up on Featherproof Books if you're interested in weird or gothic horror literature, because um, it's cool. Um, but I've also been reading um, I've been reading Insomnia by Stephen King, which is one of the Dark Tower novels, and it's really great. It's a really slow burn horror novel about a old man. Uh, the main character is like a sixty or seventy year old man who uh, his wife dies just of like, you know, old age and dementia and stuff. Uh, And he develops insomnia and he starts to lose his mind as he begins to peer beyond the veil of reality and see the dark tower for what it is uh, and and how all of the different levels of it are connected uh, in this town of Derry, Maine. And it's very, very good. Um, it's it's a really great novel, so I highly recommend it. Um, but yeah, uh, it's a it's a neat it's a good novel. Stephen King is good. People people I think a lot of people who don't read his books have an idea of what his books are like because of the movies and because of how people uh, take a lot of the stories uh, out of context and like don't really have much experience with them. But his books are great. Like he is a very consistent writer, and uh, if you like creepy cool weird west metafiction uh, i highly recommend the dark tower series dark tower is excellent it is just truly truly some of the best horror writing out there it is great stuff it's not the first time i hear them recommended i've never re- i have bought a few stephen king books but all for gifts never read them myself <laughs> uh just a blind evangelist yeah. Well, yeah, I know, I, I know what people <laughs> like. So, and they the always next get novel. Good... Oh, I was gonna say the next novel that he's uh, that he's putting out is supposedly very interesting. I've been hearing some stuff about it, um, just from my my trade circles, and I know some people who who've been reading it, and it's it's interesting. So I'm looking forward to to that. Let me just uh, confirm. It's Scorch, uh, Scorch Atlas by Blake Butler that you mentioned before. Yes, right? Scorch yeah. Atlas by uh, Blake Butler. Uh, this is it's a novel. short story. If only we had Cloud Cuckoo Country right now here. Yeah, he would love to talk about this. He did a whole video uh, about that, short... that book. I'll talk about it. I'll talk about it next week then. Yeah, it's a short <laughs> story collection of like 16 
unrelated but related stories that paint the picture of a very strange post-apocalypse that may or may not be connected. It's it's weird. It's very weird to describe. It, it is again, it's an yeah. ergodic well, novel, so it's like meant to be read in different orders and perceived in different ways. And you it, just reading it cover to cover doesn't really encompass the full experience of reading that novel. But it's very good uh, and it's very cool. Um, I, I highly recommend it. And it, it's mostly a mood piece, I think. It's like, oh, ow, my chair just... The cover is incredible. I love it. But uh, the synopsis is what grabbed my... Yeah, it's your description cool. was, was uh, enticing, but then I read the synopsis and I'm like, yes, that sounds right up my alley. Uh, yeah, it's, that's a cool one. Highly recommend that one. I haven't, been, uh, I haven't read anything since... Well, I fin since I finished uh, A Song of Ice and Fire the second time around. Yeah, basically. Almost a year. Without reading much. I, I, do you guys think that Winds of Winter is ever going to get released? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, boy. No way. He says, he says he's halfway done. Game of Thrones you... is, is done. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> oh, boy. Keith just read Plush, which is a comic book. That I'm yeah. sure he'll have more to say about. I mean, it's, when redu it's redundant uh, to talk about because I'm trying to finish an essay on it right yeah. now. But that's basically the only reading you've time. been doing, right? Losing my stuff for the essay. I'm losing my mind trying to finish that. Uh, well, I did. I read three other books for another essay that. Just like I don't know if I want to talk oh. about it because of the idea of it's like it potentially promises what the next essay would be if I even have time to finish it, or I might change my my mind or whatever. So that's a whole struggle, but I've pretty much just been reading for work because I don't have time for anything else. And I'm worried about talking about any of the things I've read. So the one we thing should that get sponsored by Blinkist so that you can read more. What did you just say? <laughs> we should get sponsored by Blinkist. Well, apparently saying, we don't need to because you're just fucking dropping their name in the podcast <laughs> for free. <laughs> they could have paid for that show. Yeah. Oh, I'll sorry, send my sorry, bill to... Edit, how do you spell through. that? What the fuck did you say? <laughs> no, no, no uh, they don't sponsor us. So that's just... It, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, but I, I cut you off. I'm sorry. But no, the... Uh, the only thing I've read for a public the thing that's already public right now is that I, I reread the first two volumes of Black Sad or the first two issues of Black, oh, yeah, Black or whatever, Sad. whatever they're called. Yeah. The first two stories, because they those are the ones that take place before the game we're currently playing, because I started doing I started joining uh, Toaster on his streams for Black Sad because I've been meaning to play that forever. And it, I, I do find that just in the ongoing discussion of how it's bad to uh about how all these furry media things, it's its bad to use uh, specific groups of people in the furry universe as an allegory for anyone in real life, because obviously furry species do have obvious biological differences from each other that might make them more or less threatening or d mm -hmm. different in more fundamental ways that then is actually true with real life bigotry. So on that mm -hmm. level, it is very interesting that black sad introduces a furry universe where there are like polar bears and wolves and ferrets and shit. But then the racism is still about color. <laughs> like the racism yeah, is literally still, color. there are black animals and white animals it has nothing to do with spe with what species they are. And, that, and that's, uh, 
That is an interesting, yeah, like, surprise yeah. third plot twist third option in this debate, <laughs> is to do that yeah. approach. Because Black Sad, literally, like, the first issue is, is a... Uh, the first issue is about investigating a murder that might have that's covered up by this like billionaire or whatever. But then like, so you think you have like a vibe for what this is going to be. But then the, the second issue of Black Sad is about the KKK, and the third yeah. episode of Black Sad is about communism. Like the the comics yeah. go hard, McCarthyism and really like, specifically. Like, yeah, <laughs> so you're like, oh look at this go. Okay, it's a it's a pretty interesting path things go on. But, as far, but for context, we are live streaming this and it was supposed to be Q&A because we didn't know what to talk about, but we kind of found our topic anyway. But I haven't been answering most of the questions because they've been like, what are your pronouns? He, him. What are you, what are you, are you guys LGBT, support LGBT? Yeah, obviously. You're watching a slideshow of furry and animals with gay, with gay pins you, on them. There's two gay guys and then Colonel. I don't know what your sexuality I'm is. I'm romantic <laughs> and bisexual. Yeah. There, there we go. go. We learned a thing. I only knew the aromantic part because that's the flag you use. And then a lot of them, a, a lot of them are one answer yeah. questions. And one of them, I didn't want to get into echo spoilers necessarily. And yeah. that's most of them so far. How do you do exercise? I go for a walk. I try, try to do it every day. <laughs> but in reality, it's mostly like every other day because, uh, you know, days like this where I wake up and I'm like, I don't have time to do anything besides eat before the podcast. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I, I ride a bicycle. I actually ride two bicycles. And, uh. Because I have a mountain bike and a road bike. That's what I do for exercise. I do push-ups and sit-ups and pull-ups and squats uh, and just stuff like that all day long. Just like while I'm filling <laughs> my water at the at the refrigerator or if I'm killing time, like doing stuff. I've been packing my house up, which is a huge workout. That's another thing. Uh, that, that's yeah, good just, exercise. I just do exercise activities because I'll be like standing in my living room and I'll be like, oh no, I haven't stretched today. My back hurts. And then I'll like, I don't know, plank for two minutes. I'll be like, okay, I'm done. Like it's whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, let's see. Another question we had. Uh, Actually, before we move on, sorry. Is oh, planking good for core or for, for like back? Back, yeah. Interesting. I mean, both. I didn't do it for your you're, core you're audience your as a meme. And your core. So it is good for both of those things. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, mean, I, I would expect it's hard to do. Like it, it, oh, yeah, it is yeah. hard to to plank for multiple minutes at a time, but it's a good workout. I thought I, I would I would think it would more it would be more like for abs and and like depending. I mean, on it's. I think it is more more your 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 core, but you do have to activate your back. So I mean, it's going to be good for posture. Yeah, that's and stuff fair. Like that. yeah, yeah, good point. But I just yeah. no no. I opened Twitter and there's too many there's too many people that are now following me because I did the fucking a sexy voice reading of the X three no X three nuzzles <laughs> uwu copy pasta, <laughs> and that's that was funny. God damn it. It's not a reason to follow. It's not the right reason to follow me. It's not a thing to expect moment to moment. How did me and Toaster is... meet? He helped me make my VR chat avatar or set it up. And when I was trying to launch the VR chat, uh, uh, the VR chat well, yeah. event after the the Lego she is gay video hit a certain milestone, we're like, let's hang out and do a VR chat event. That'll be fun. I've been watching enough VR chat videos that I want to check it out. And he helped me fix. Because I did the making setting up an avatar is so fucking complicated that I couldn't do it. Uh, 
and then I realized that it's he, we have mutual friends and stuff like that that all know each other yeah. and blah blah. Yeah, I joined I joined the Discord server because one of the people that was heavily featured in the Lagoshi is gay essay uh, is one of my very close internet friends. Um, and I have been a Keith, I had been a, a watcher of Keith's content for about eight years at that point, I want to say seven or eight years. And so I joined the, uh, I joined the server and then I was just in the right place at the right time. Keith asked for help on VR chat and I was logged into VR chat and I was like, Oh, I can show you how to do this. And so I sent him a tutorial video that I recorded on OBS uh and i helped him troubleshoot vr and then so we, fast, bas- we, we basically became met, fast friends we basically <laughs> met quote unquote in person in the fucking silent hill bathroom <laughs> yeah i invited him to it. my home world at the time was the silent was silent hill 2 ported into vr chat so we met in the Ooh, that's cool. silent hill 2 bathroom <laughs> at the that's start really of the cool, game actually. uh where was it what made you all want so, to do YouTube? And if YouTube didn't exist, what other job would you do? Well, no, I'm the only one that does this for a living. So they yeah, would do the jobs they're doing right now because that's what they're doing. Uh, Actually, that's not yeah. true. That I wouldn't be doing the job that I'm doing right now. Because I... Uh, because of causality? Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> but, you, was, but uh, you would, if you do, couldn't do YouTube anymore, would now be doing this job, would continue doing this job. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I was... I was so, so I was a web developer, and I still am a web developer. Um, and and my job was that. my company. Yeah, I do web programming and stuff. Uh, and my company environment was bad, and my boss was bad. And um, I was like, I need I need an out, or or like an out as in get money elsewhere, uh, and also to air my my thoughts and just you know decompress. So I started my YouTube channel like just to sort of um, vent. It's not really venting, but, you know, just sort of like not have to think about work um, and think about something else and dedicate myself to something else. Uh, The YouTube channel never really got to a place where I could earn a living with it, but um, I did make friends uh, through the YouTube channel, including you guys. But uh, one of those friends uh, was uh, invited, not invited me, but recommended me for a job where I am right now. And uh, he basically, hey, we're looking for this type of person. You have experience. I can recommend you. And then I, I went through the interviews and uh, the interview process, and I, got, I landed that job. So the job that I am right now is is a community uh, web developer. And uh, I have it because of YouTube. Otherwise, I wouldn't. I would still be in the other other bad company with the bad people. That's like a that's a feel good story, Colonel. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Thank Win. you. Thank you. Yeah. Victory. My, yeah, this uh, is win. your weekly reminder that almost none of the YouTubers you watch, except unless you only watch the most horrifically popular ones, actually do it for a living. Yeah. Especially video I essayists. Would... Like, if they aren't making, like, oh, yeah. $5,000 no a month on Patreon or some shit, they're probably not doing it for a living. They probably do it I when know... they get home from work. Yeah, I know multiple video essayists at this point that are also doctors full time. Like, it is not an easy <laughs> road to walk being a full time yeah. video essayist. But uh, yeah, I I would love to do YouTube full time because I can't stand where I work currently. But uh, I my job is in market research, and that is the field that I am good in. Uh, I work primarily with film studios, uh, 
and I like it because I like pop culture and I like movies. Um, but my actual, the actual aspect of my job, the stuff that I have to do on a day-to-day basis is very boring and I am not interested in it. So if I could switch to YouTube full-time, I would. Uh, but, uh, in a world where I did not do YouTube, I would probably keep working the job that I work because they pay me a lot of money. And even though it's boring, they don't, uh, they never give me any real trouble. So I would deal with it because I'm a pushover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, also jobs are difficult, but yeah. Yeah. This is an easy question to answer. Uh, someone in the chat, Blue, says, do you guys have actual fursuits or want a fursuit? I am the only one here, as far as I know, that has a fursuit. I like my fursuit. Um, yeah. He tried to get me to try I, it on because people keep trying to get me to want a fursuit. And like many things in life, I was blocked by my giant head. <laughs> I literally could not put on Toaster's fursuit head. It was impossible. My fursuit head is actually surprisingly tight fitting. Like even for me, it's not, it's, it is not a roomy fursuit head, but yeah. I have such I a big head a... that when I sunburned my scalp on a trip, I looked through several stores in their entirety before I could find a single hat that was big enough. <laughs> mm. I am an underserved yeah. market. So you got a hat after you, you got sunburned. Well, yeah, because I'm like, I can't let this be worse. This trip's not over. So like, I had to get a giant <laughs> yeah, straw hat on I my mean, trip. Better late than never. It's true. Yeah, I mean, it was like we were like in the woods and it was cloudy and I didn't know how much time we'd be in or out. And once upon a time, I had long hair, and but now I'm old. Uh, so I have to worry about stuff like my the top of my head burning now, apparently. That's just <laughs> yeah. a fun problem for me. I was up super late that night and miserable the next day because i literally could not sleep because my head yep. was just and physically burn like pain. burning prickling like in bed and that's all i could think about and it was like actually like it was basically it was like it was agonizing it was awful to the point that's where i eventually like for. i was like looking stuff up online and i i well, I, I figured that i found out that the way to finally get to sleep wasn't any kind of any of the ointments or things i was trying to use it was just just go into the Thank into you. the the hotel bathroom run the shower on really cold and just stick my scalp under that for like 10 minutes oh and that basically stopped yeah. the feeling like it just got rid of the problem uh and then i went to sleep finally but the next day i was just so goddamn tired because i stayed up so late just trying to be able to sleep again yeah trips are yeah. fun I I have a degree in archaeology, and archaeology field digs and stuff. You get sunburned if you're not careful. And uh, that's the first thing they taught us is you got a big hat that covers your ears, covers your neck, covers yeah. everything. Yep. And I'm I like, mean, when I was on my trip to Death Valley, I had a straw hat the entire time for geology I, and everything. I, when I heard that, I said, I'm going to look silly on purpose. And I got the weirdest, biggest hat ever. It was purple and green, and uh, it, it was droopy and weird. And nobody liked it, and I loved it because nobody liked it. <laughs> it's just that when you when you get when so you get silly. taken on like a family trip to like Mammoth or something, and you like and I'm bringing the hat. <laughs> you, you you just have no idea moment to moment like how long your excursions are going to be, or how oh, outdoor you're going to be, or how much you're going to be in like yeah. restaurants or hotels, or each time you stop in the forest, is this like a hangout, look around moment, or are we like stopping and are we going to sit here and have lunch and then hike for three hours? Like you don't have a good sense because no one does. Of how much you're going to be yeah. out, so you don't know how hard you should be preparing <laughs> for stuff. 
and so I to paid answer the price. The question... That's the same trip that I watched Monster Hunter on, and that be and uh, and it was also the trip where I was writing uh, joke on that trip. I was writing jokes for what would become the first video on my essay channel because I wanted to rip off the the, the band aid by having a dumb video just to have a first upload before the first essay. But it's a good so I, video. So I was filling People out a I was filling out a journal for dumb jokes for the top ten video game characters of all time. While also that was the same trip that I watched Monster Hunter on the shitty hotel TV, which became like my second video on that the, the second essay on that channel after Annihilation. So that was like a weirdly should... eventful weekend where I burned myself. Is that your new gimmick? Is you're gonna make video essays about the movies that you watch in hotel room TVs? <laughs> By mistake, your next essay is gonna be hereditary. Let's go. Well, hereditary the platform. Well, I just, I, I mean, I watched several other. Like, I also watched that uh, Spider-Man man do Dan Holloway. What's his name? Tom Tom Holland. Tom I watched Holland. that shitty Tom Holland movie about how you're all the men. And their creepy, rapey thoughts like come out of their head like a mist, and people can hear them out loud. Uh, <laughs> and then all the women oh, are dead for unrelated reasons, I'm sure. Uh, it, like I, I saw that movie on the same trip, and that movie was also mind-numbingly stupid. And maybe you could write about it, but it was it was the reason why I wrote about Monster Hunter was because it was it it's like it's what I've, this type of thing i've called like buttery me mediocrity like this thing that's just like so uninteresting that you f it just slips right through you like you're not like ah shit look at this horrifyingly bad thing i watched i can't stop talking about how bad it was suicide squad way style but it's also not like uh like spider verse or whatever like there's it's neither of the extremes but i i decided that I realized that I kept thinking about Monster Hunter weeks later and I'm like, why, why, like, why was that movie the way it was? Why was it so unengaging? So I just wanted to go back and, and look at it and like, here's all the cowardly choices this thing makes. Here's all its non-commitments. Here's it's like completely undeveloped characters or why it has no kind of consistent tone. It's like, yeah, this is why this sucked. Here's why, they, here's why they <laughs> fucked it up. So I, just, I, just, I felt the need to go back finally and check it out. You were the you were the the revenger that the movie didn't expect. <laughs> I tried to be wimpy, and I'm then Keith came up. It's like, it's like the worst way to do a video essay, arguably, because you're supposed to be talking about topical stuff, and it's like, let's talk about this movie you all already forgot, and no one cares about why it was bad. And once again, I'm currently writing my my next. Maybe this is my genre of thing bad. Is my thing bad videos are never about anything that was dogpiled on. It's instead like, here's a comic you've never heard about. It's bad for these much, reasons. You have too much Jenny Nicholson uh, influence. Yeah, is that what it is? She has so, a bunch of uh, a bunch of videos about stuff that nobody paid attention to, doesn't she? Like I remember the the one yeah. that I like the best, which is the uh, what is it? Is like it's like a a super American patriot goes to college story where oh like yeah yeah the yeah, feminists lose. Fun. <laughs> I've watched that a bunch of times. It's just so, such a stupid book. It, I mean, at least according to how she tells it. Yeah, triggered or whatever, right? Triggered. That's the one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> all right. And then uh, all the Antifa ninjas descended from the sky. I know and it was so stupid. If you turn away, if you look away, and then look back, they respawn like a ninja Gaiden. 
just to just to answer the question, I do not own a fursuit. I like fluffy things though, but I don't like the the uh, the warmth and uh, like I don't think I would be suited for. <laughs> it's encumbering. <laughs> it's like wearing a suit mm-hmm. of armor. Yeah. You mentioned like looking for a new multiplayer though. game semi recently. If any of the games caught your attention, maybe. It's, it's, Marathon. It's a, it's a, it's it's a, it's a it's a huge struggle every single time. Like, <laughs> there's like several reasons why it's bad in some ways to have like a dedicated like streamer Discord that a bunch of people are just kind of in, because like the moment you suggest almost any game, like like you there's no, it's always the two extremes. Either nobody latches on at all, and you're like, well, I guess we're not playing that game. No one else cares about it, which is how most of them die. Because it is actively hard to get any group of people to, to collectively choose to pay for a game, especially if it's not like an indie priced game. Like, oh, it's $5, friends versus friend, let's go. It's like, everyone want to join in on the $60 campaign and we have to all commit with the same group of people and meet this every week. $70 now. Sometimes, not usually. The, the <laughs> not examples no, that we yeah. would actually see. Like, it's a struggle because yeah. you have this, like, this collective group of like, 11 people that might drop in and out from session to session and it's like the mo- if you try to like lock in on a specific thing that you play from front to back in some kind of context that means that the same people have to show up every week for that game and they all have to choose yep. they all have to collectively choose to buy it and you're excluding anyone not in that group which is more or less where like I, like I brought up Diablo 4 recently and that kind of lived and died immediately because almost immediately there was just too many people potentially up for it and it's like well now we have to like exclude people in order to do it at all and it just becomes a struggle but then drop in and drop out games like overwatch like which is why one of the reasons why overwatch took over so much all the time was because it was a game that was overwatch 2 is free and you can play with a different number of people every session or even mid-session people can drop in and out and so like that kind of stuff is just more so much more doable but in the, as that drops in popularity and people are turned off by the monetization strategy and the PVE news or just burnout, uh, you have to try to transplant all of those people to a different multiplayer game, and that's just like an entire struggle in its own right. We could so, do yeah. sim racing. <laughs> no, I, I will not become a sim racer. Let's all get into Forza, bro. I hate go. simulation no, no, racers I, so much. It I, has I, to be I a mean, kart racer. Like, <laughs> you need no the ones that you can only drive with a wheel it doesn't work with a gamepad those are oh, the ones. so your, your solution to the group is to is to gatekeep or spend a bunch of money <laughs> no to, <it's> to <laughs> create a, such a uh, barrier of entry that no one comes with you yeah it's just yes, me it's just, just me <laughs> driving around so one of the questions i wanted to answer cosmic goose uh asked what is your current top three favorite movies and why um, and earlier, Krim asked what our favorite genre was, and I think that this is a good example, a good Horror. way to like highlight our interests. Uh, my three favorite movies have, do not change very frequently. I have like an ongoing list, and I, I spreadsheet what movies I watch, and I give them all ratings, so I can answer this very, mm. very easily. My favorite movie of all time is Under the Skin by Paul Glazer. That is, or Jonathan Glazer. I mean, that is a really great movie. Uh, excellent horror film. Excellent sci-fi film. My second favorite movie of all time is Alien by Ridley Scott. Really excellent movie. Great sci-fi horror film. My third favorite movie 
is uh, Blade Runner 2049 by Denis Villeneuve, mm. and that is a great sci-fi film. You can probably extrapolate my entire interests off of those three films. So there you go. That Those are the three movies that uh, are my favorite. Uh, for a while, it was number three was The Witch by Robert Eggers. But uh, the Vavitch, got, you mean? Yes, the Vavitch. Original the Vavitch. joke. Uh, great movie. Um, but <laughs> it got edged out by 2049 when it came out. But uh film film is my niche i'm the i'm the film guy i like i watch a lot of movies i've seen i've seen too many of them i like pretty much anything as long as it's good is sort of my uh is sort of my that's not no you can't say that yes, i like yes, I can. it's like, easy no one can I'll, stop you i'll i'll <laughs> watch i'll watch and enjoy any genre of anything as long as the thing is good I've but seen like, it for so one, many movies. For, for one, the the definition of good is the thing that you're saying. Like, what's your favorite movie? Is the one that you think is good. But yeah, the, I that's don't one like thing. Bad things, Colonel. This is simple. But also, you can enjoy life. things that are bad. You can like I, can. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And I, I can and do. I do. But yeah. I also will. It, it's it's like a square. It's is not a, your favorite. A, a rectangle right. is a square, but a square is not a rectangle. Like yeah. I will like bad movies but i also guarantee you if a movie is good i will like it as well so it's actually the other way around the rectangle the square is a rectangle but that, either way i understand what you mean <laughs> oh uh, i have a list I made, I made my list i don't I have found a, my a old letterboxd account sheepish justice says high five for aliens no i don't like no, no. aliens Excuse me? i like alien, alien. ah there yeah, those are very different alien movies. is Alien is my my the, favorite. The suit movie looks way funnier time. in the first oh, movie. It's so good. It's so good. The, the yeah, the it's just it's it's comfort food. I I actually enjoy horror quite a lot because it's very rare that I see a horror movie th that I like. I have a bad time with. Like it has happened, but it's usually like uh, how was this one Wendigo movie? What was it called? I forget the name. It was the just others? really bad. Oh no, it wasn't Wendigo. It was a well, maybe it was. It was just a group of like teenagers went into a cave or f fell into a ravine, and there was like old people there. No, the descent is incredible, but no, the, the, the first descent is incredible. I was about to be very sus. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it is similar to the descent. descent. It is similar okay. to the descent. Um, but uh, but yeah, I like horror. But my sec my second and third favorite are not horrors. My second is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. That counts as one mm -hmm. movie. Yeah, uh, because of course, and uh, one movie. I watched them all in a number. Not even one book. <laughs> it was. It was all. No, that's not true. Lord of the Rings was written as one large book, and it was only split mm. up for publishing reasons. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. And my third one is Wally, but I don't watch a lot of movies. Oh, fun. Um, but uh, yeah, I uh, I found my old letterbox account, which is horrifying. I know Pete's favorite movie, but I don't know his number two or his number three. What I'm particularly fixated on is that I have in my sidebar of my Letterboxd account, I wrote actors that make me want to watch a movie and actors that make me want to skip a movie. And there are some that I stand <laughs> by and some that I would not keep here anymore. And you can really tell when I wrote this. So I thought that this might be funny. Actors that make me want to skip a movie. Adam Sandler, David Spade. Mm -hmm. Aziz Asari, Nick Swartzen, Kevin James, Jamie Kennedy, Gerard Butler, Ashton Kutcher. So far, so good, honestly. Yeah. Falls off a cliff here for obvious reasons. 
Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart. <laughs> Oh, who are wow. both great. Oh, but in 2014, yeah, really I may have not liked them for some reason. <laughs> oh, I wonder what it could have been. This this list is much worse, though. Actors that make me want to watch a movie: Leonardo DiCaprio, Natalie Portman, Robert Downey Jr., uh, Edward Norton, yeah. Ryan Gosling, Br Bruce Willis, <laughs> Emma Stone, oh, yeah. and Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Bruce Willis is pretty rough to have That's on that rough. list. He's not. He hasn't I, I been will, good for so long. I will say DiCaprio, as as much of uh, person aside, I suppose. Um, I I there's few movies that I've watched of him. I don't like seek them out specifically, but when he's in a movie, I usually enjoy the movie. My favorite of his is Shutter Island, which was sort of it wasn't amazing or anything, but I I did enjoy the movie. I just I love, love that from the Ryan Gosling inclusion, you, you can tell that when I stopped updating this account, that Drive was recent. Mm -hmm. And Drive mm -hmm. was a good movie. Uh, Drive's really good. I dig, I do dig, I do like Ryan Gosling still and Ed Norton and Robert Denny Jr. Uh, a lot of the rest of this list is pretty questionable. Oh, I, like, I like Emma Stone a lot, actually. She's I, great. I, I enjoy Emma Stone in movies. But no, the uh, what oh, it, what, Stone, what, what right. is much yeah, more consistent incredible. is that my favorite films I basically still stand by, but only in the way that I'm like favorite movies of all time. Like oh, every time anyone asks me what my favorite of anything is, I'm always like, eh, whatever. There's like I have like placeholder yeah. <laughs> answers for video games and for comics and for <laughs> films, and the answer is always like there's either some kind of incredibly impactful thing that I'm I can't emotionally separate from anymore, like at Astra for obvious reasons. Or it's just like, yeah, these are really good, and I, I liked them a long time ago, and I still like them, and the, at some point it just gets wrapped up in nostalgia and other things that aren't like re you can't like reason with, so it doesn't really matter why they're my favorite anymore. And that is uh, yeah. the top three is Dark Crystal, Reservoir Dogs, and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. The original mm. or the remake? The original. I guess the remake's Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, that's called right? Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. I watched it once in theaters and was like, <laughs> no. <laughs> Jimmy, friend of the podcast, asks, "What are our favorite horror games?" This is gonna be easy for me. Pathologic, Pathologic Two, The Void. There you go. It's all three of them. Is The Void also a horror game? Oh can, yeah, I don't, <laughs> it's, I don't know it's anything like the about most The Void besides horror. Ice yeah, I don't know the game. Void either. All I've been warned about with The Void is that it it can make it unwinnable or something. I think, and it has a lot of. Oh, nudity. you can, yeah. You can very, very easily just fuck yourself in that game completely and have to start over. Um, and I've, I've also played Tension, which is the other one, the other version of The Void, which is different and was only in Russian and Polish for a while, but then they translated it through a fan patch. So I've played both versions, and both versions are very good. Horror games are neat. The ones where you actually have to do a survival horror are the best ones. So, like, Pathologic is neat. And uh, the Resident Evil 2 remake is fun. Yep. The one, ones, that, ones that are just see, uh, action games in disguise are a harder sell. So most of the Silent Hill franchise is like, they're just kind of run and gun games that are masquerading as being disempowering, but actually you're really powerful and that's kind of rough. But then they're like, then people are like, play yeah. hard mode. And then, ev but everyone actually agrees that hard mode is like unplayably miserable and not in interesting ways. So I, I wish, I always wish that the franchise played differently than it does. I like Silent Hill 2, and I've played all of them, but I like Silent Hill 2 a lot. You've played Alien all Isolation, of Silent Hills? Alien Isolation yeah, was really neat, but, it was, but it's three times as long as it should be, probably. 
<laughs> you guys. I was gonna. I was. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I. I I'm. De I'm debating which one to. Uh, to put up on my first. And Alien Isolation was tied with Darkwood, and that was just making the decision. To Darkwood's put, fun. Uh, the Alien Isolation in first when you said it's not. It's too. Darkwood long. <laughs> is really good if you don't get distracted by the fact that it's badly made. It's really That's well made. Fine. It's really well made. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's it, all like, right. It's some all of right. It's, it's game design choices like definitely don't hold up to scrutiny. Like uh, I was actually yeah. talking. You have to actively ignore the Alex. fact that death doesn't matter for starters, but also like yes. the way you proceed yep. through the story is completely unrelated to the what feels like the core gameplay loop of living of surviving nights and scavenging during day and like that whole loop. Those two things are unconnected. Yeah. So a speed run is just watching somebody run to all the, the story cutscenes really fast and leaving the game. They don't ha they don't even engage with the base building because it's just not <laughs> relevant to the gameplay. Yeah, I didn't have that experience and purposely didn't, but I enjoyed it a lot. I'm going to say that Pathologic is not a horror game for me. Um, and uh, so I will uh, excuse it not being in my top three because it would be in my top three, probably in my in first as well. Uh, but my third one is Resident Evil, the original one. No, actually, the the that's remake of the original one. Remake remake is really really high up there for me as well. Yeah. I think that's basically a perfect video game. I haven't played the the Resident Evil two and three remakes, uh, mostly because <laughs> they're expensive and it. I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, but uh, next time they I'll go on sale, I'll gift them to you on Resident Evil two remake they, is really no, solid. I can good. buy them. It's it's just that. You know, there's a certain amount of value that I put to things. Resident Evil 2 Remake got really good at making me just have moments where I just have to pause the game and just give myself a moment to breathe because it's getting so bad. Like, so much is happening that is not, it's just getting, like out, it's getting out of my control and I have to just pause the game and think about it for a moment. Yeah, I like, I like that a lot. That's what made me fall in love with Resident Evil 1 was uh, precisely that sort of feeling of, of being like, uh, it's not necessarily that you have to pause the game, although pausing the game works totally fine as well. But it's just like going into another room where you know it's safe and then thinking, okay, how am I going to get out of this mess? And that methodical sort of, you know, what's going to be there more or less and how much, how many resources you're going to get. Res like, that's, that's why I prefer Resident Evil to Silent Hill. I only played Silent Hill 1 and 2, though. Uh, and I don't mm -hmm. know that I finished the good ending with Silent Hill 2. There, I don't I think, think there I, is just a solid good ending in Silent Hill 2. They're mm -hmm. all just kind of different shades of weird. Mm -hmm. uh, Krim asks, what about Scorn? Uh, I, Scorn looks cool, but I don't think is a very good game. No. But it looks cool. It very Scorn visually kind of sucks. Neat. I didn't like um, Scorn at all. It has horrible I pacing. It, like, it, it, Scorn is very obviously feels like it's built in chronological order and so yeah. each level of the game feels like it's being it's from a different era of a very long development cycle with a different design philosophy but almost none yeah. of the parts of the game were good puzzles there's yeah. parts of the game that are really cool visually and kind of cool reveals of what's going on but the majority of the gameplay is trying to solve the puzzles and the puzzles are just wildly inconsistent uh yeah like there's a it's one also... there's a one where you like uh, you go to like a station to like essentially give yourself like a status effect essentially and then you're supposed to try to run to this one like and like this whole the core of this whole part of the game oh, yeah. is just to give yourself this effect and run over here to like essentially spend the effect 
but yep. narratively there's a really obvious place to try to take it immediately and if you go that way the effect just goes away which gives you the yeah. with no other feedback available gives you the impression that the effect is like timing or distance based and that's how little time or distance you have but if you go the other way it stays on you for way way longer because that's the way you're supposed to go to get to the objective you actually were just passing a logic gate that kills it prematurely but that did but that poisons the data for how the effect works in the first place and makes the puzzle obtuse and confusing just because they wouldn't make a, a certain hallway longer to offset that that obvious uh, gap in the design but like that's near the end of the game where the where they have super low budget puzzles that cover very little distance the beginning of the game is essentially one puzzle that's just about trying to open a door and that part is a massive sprawling multi-room multi-floor lore heavy nightmare that feels like certain levels of uru uh it has multiple solutions <laughs> it's an incredibly like shockingly convoluted for what it is and it's and i think it's part, probably that, the best part of the game as well that, part, that part's more opinion. impressive it has some very bad yeah communication at parts of like being able to parse what the they hell don't you're have looking any at. text in the game they don't, I, they don't I, yeah, I mean, like the, the feedback area, you get visually so. for doing certain things is so obtuse sometimes that you can't tell yeah, what yeah. you're accomplishing or if you are. Uh, and yeah. that crossed with the fact that it's like you have a two mile walk between everything you want to even fiddle with to test that you because in these like mist kind of situations, because that, that part of the game has the most in common with mist. You're walking into some kind of abandoned civilization and the puzzle solution is to is requires you to essentially recreate what people used to do there essentially which is also how firmament and abduction works like that's just the missed formula is to be dropped into some kind of civilization and you have to understand how the devices work for the purposes that they use them basically in order to solve the puzzle as opposed to just kind of like monkey island like well let's try to melt a lock uh and so like it's that kind of style of thing but it's so big and you're so slow that it legitimately takes hours just to jiggle the handles long enough to even start making progress to, to parse what, yeah. you're, what you're looking at like it's just so big it's just it's a real rough take on that and the art doesn't make up for it necessarily but it does have yeah. a dick sucky torture device and that's hilarious it is i didn't uh, i didn't let's... find it very funny <laughs> i thought it was, I, 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 it's a, i didn't a... play the game i only watched your let's play but i think the well, level so design you, you didn't see it uncensored so you don't know why oh, it's I funny I, I looked it up i looked it up uncensored you're like oh <laughs> i know why it's, i looked it i saw i saw i saw i know i know just I just, very when startling. i played that moment it happened yeah. and i was like is that what i think it is i guess you it should is. have been there the entire game i don't know why it wasn't there the entire game yeah why, Making, why wasn't players? your protagonist just rock hard for the entire playthrough 100%. every time you yeah. look down i mean you, yeah With the, our hr giger fan fiction just hits its final yeah. form by just going uh, straight back to the id <laughs> but what what i felt very much in that game and you mentioned like the you mentioned it uh, already when you said your piece but the 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 translation between concept art and level design is very yeah. old school in that game so old school and, and i i don't like that too much i like I, f I think it's all right for certain types of concept art, like, for example, level reveals or lore exposition stuff. But so much of the so much of the potential of that sort of art style 
is just in the way you traverse levels and just sort of creating that sort of ambiance where you're, where you're yeah. moving around and, and using puzzles. But that game just has veiny tunnels and that's it. It's just so repetitive when you're actually moving around. If you don't yeah. stop to appreciate the set it, it's pieces... It's so maximalist that almost none of it's impactful. Yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah. agree there's also multiple moments where you like lose perspective and and then awaken somewhere else and i just couldn't tell if i was supposed to think i was the same person still or not yeah i th I, I agree with you uh apparently some yeah. people think oh it's very obviously not the same person i'm like no have you never seen a movie <laughs> do you not yeah. know cinematic cinematography <laughs> or, or cinematic language i should say yeah completely uh interesting i i agree with everything that was said about that um let's quick fire some answers someone asked have we played soma i think we've all played soma yes. keith did Incredible. you do an lp of soma yeah, yeah. soma's in my brain all the time yeah soma is amazing good. Uh, soma, I, I have to revisit every time i talk about the transporter problem i'm like i actually forgot about look at it yeah someone's the tutorial for why this is a horrific concept <laughs> yes i exactly. forgot about soma in my top three list it's uh also there it is high. It is high up there. Soma is probably the only game in the history of video games that has has actually deeply unsettled me, uh, like philosophically speaking. It didn't unsettle um, me, but I liked the subjects that it uh, that it talks about. I liked that yeah. the, the protagonist is dumb, and uh, yeah. and like canonically, not just has the wrong ideas. He's just not very smart. Uh, and I like that that it that it might shape people's understanding of the setting. You know, it, it's. I thought it was very interesting that they made the protagonist not get the the setting yeah, in a he, realistic he way as well didn't understand what was happening yeah yeah uh clm says how did you guys build tolerance for horror um i love horror and concept but i can't for the life of me handle jump scares and feeling scared and it always makes me feel really bad afterwards this is a weird question because I, we've kind of talked about it before but like most of the horror that i consume doesn't have jump scares like jump scares are cheap yeah. bad dumb horror that like isn't worth spending time on i think i instinctively um, dodge movies that have jump scares because i can't remember the last time i saw same. a single one and i think it's because yeah, they're only in sh like really schlocky like mass yeah. mass marketed like ah! haunting movies with this the yeah. scary yeah. woman like I'm not, wet I'm not hair playing woman Five in the Nights shower. at Freddy's. What's she gonna do? <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like I'm not playing Five Nights at Freddy's. Like that stuff doesn't even scare me. It's just startling. It's like that's whatever. Um, but in terms of like, oh no, like horror. It. Like I'm in a scary situation. Like I just don't. I just I, I don't know how to explain it. Like I'm playing a video game. <laughs> like I'm watching a movie. Like I'm not scared of the demons because they're not real. Like I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna look away from the TV and they're not gonna, they're not gonna hurt me. It's whatever. Just like, like what, what that's has just how much scares that people, stuff. Uh, have you never actually felt when you were younger? Have you never felt uh, scared and not interested in in the horror in the horror in horror movies? Uh, no, not really. Oh. Um, I think there have definitely been moments like my so th th this is not a joke my strongest fear association that i have with a video game came when i was probably i want to say nine or ten years old i was playing symphony of the night on my ps1 and i was home alone on the second floor of my house <laughs> uh, i mentioned i've mentioned this before but i uh 
I grew up in a split level house. I lived with my grandparents downstairs. And then basically there was like another house built on top of my house. And that was the house that my mother, my stepfather and my younger brother lived in. So our houses were separated, but they were like the same building. And mm -hmm. so I went upstairs to play Symphony of the Night because I was like supposed to watch over my younger brother because no one else was home after school one day. And I was just like sitting alone in a room playing Symphony of the Night. And I got to the underground caverns and there's like a kind of spooky song that plays and nothing in the game is scary. Symphony of the Night is not a scary game. It's just just a 2D Metroidvania. It's got it's like horror flavored because it has like Dracula in it, but it's not scary. But I just remember being really profoundly just made nervous by the fact that like the house was really still and there was no noise mm. outside and nothing was really going on. And that's probably my strongest fear reaction to a video game ever was like, I just happened to be playing a game while I felt really anxious. But in terms of like, outside of like being started, like turning a corner in a game and there's like an enemy there that I didn't expect me being like, oh, like that's about the limit of how I get, um, how scared I get in a video game. I just never get scared of things, not in movies either. Movies and books and media in general, I feel like when you're younger, very, you, you just have more weird fear responses to stuff. Like, yes. it's harder to explain now. Like, I, think, I, I used to think that, like, mist style, like, st static screens that had, would sometimes yep. have one thing move when you interacted with it. And, like, first person clicking games were, like, terrifying when yeah. I was, like, five. Just, like, unsettlingly empty. Definitely yeah. had that feeling. But, like, I guess my thing is, like, I grew up in a creative family like i have family members who have like made famous comic books and worked on movies and stuff so my my whole perspective of like fiction is wrapped around the idea of it being created by a human being with the purpose of like communicating stuff to people and i get really into the craft side of it so when i am watching a horror movie even when i was a kid i watched the ring and like my first question was like oh my god how did they how did they shoot like the girl walking out of the TV. Like, how do you do that? That's so cool. Like, I, I see it and I'm like, oh, it's creepy. <laughs> like, I understand that it's creepy, but I'm wrapped up in the idea of like, this is a cool shot. What does this mean? This is a really cool art film that they made. Like, that's creepy. Who came up with this? How did they do this? It's yeah. just like, it's just cool. Like, it's like, that's that's my fear response. So to answer, like, how do you build tolerance for horror? It's not real. It's okay. It's and all I, right. I take a deep I, breath. I still have fear responses to media. Like I, I like I was ter like I, I was genuinely terrified of like the this that of annihilation. And yeah. Uh, yeah. fuck, I lost the example I was trying to talk about. While I was you waiting. mentioned uh, uh, hereditary before. Annihilation and hereditary are two good examples of the sort of horror that sort of you don't need to look at to engage with, which is fun. I like I like the movies that yeah. you need to like you th you after the fact or even during like you st stop midway through and, and like think on it and like engage with that feeling or with a with a it, it could be the, even the visuals but uh, I I really like jump scares right, are Soma, one thing since you got me I hid for a long time just while just yeah. hearing things from one of the first monsters and not wanting to go back out to deal with trying to navigate the level. It's funny, this, the monsters in Soma never did it for me. The things in Soma that did, did it for yeah, me thought, were like, 
I agree. Hours after I finished the game, I was just like, hmm. Copy and paste, huh? Yeah. It's like, like that's the, like the concept the most... stuck with me long term, but it was just the fact that like oftentimes before it's like the Jaws thing, like before you properly experience something, that's often when you're most like unnerved by it. So like I had not died yet or anything or been attacked directly yet. I was just having the initial reveals or sounds of the monsters in in Soma. Like there was a whole part where I just was just hiding in a side room, hoping the sounds would just go away so I could continue forward because I was just so unnerved by continuing. But like in a similar level, like, <laughs> like or like how like like Book of, uh, House of Leaves gets more horrific as it goes on technically. But yeah, it was just Johnny Truant's explanation of his like sort of anxiety attack manifestation things while he started reading the other the other guy's book that had the most direct effect on me and like was start like, sort of like causing night terrors and stuff like that more so than the rest of the entire book was like that that like that that, that vagueness early on was more impactful than any of the actual things that happened in the other 90 percent of the book yeah i think in in games if you're not it, like if you're too scared or if you don't enjoy the process of being scared from a gameplay sense like for example in soma like having monsters that you can't fight easily or you don't understand the rules if you don't enjoy that process uh maybe horror games are not necessarily the right kind of horror media that for you uh, because i personally i like the tension I, I, alien isolation for me is incredible because the rules are sort of obvious but the execution is uh yeah it is getting scary. that perfect this, run like learning yeah, how yeah. to thread that needle i definitely yeah. i i want to so many isn't like that so yeah sorry go ahead go ahead i was just gonna say i want to stress about things like alien isolation like i don't find those games scary but i do get the adrenaline well, rush horror of, games. like uh, yeah. yeah but i don't think necessarily like horror is so subjective being scared is a very subjective emotional response i think you can be horror without being scary like because what is scary to one person is not scary to another yeah so yeah i kind of got numb to the idea of the alien being scary in alien isolation but instead it was like a 20 hour stress episode because i was playing on hard and like anything makes you lose immediately so much and it's such so it's so ambiguous even being able to sense which actions will at what intensities cause you to be fucked so you just yeah. are you're just on your tiptoes for the entire thing and the game is so fucking long and it's just it just gets that game was physically exhausting to get through it is yeah and it you is did definitely it in VR. my belly hurts my belly well, hurts like, like after a couple of hours playing the game every time yeah because it's just well, when i went through alien like, alien specifically i played it in vr on nightmare mode with a mod that untethered the alien and unlocked its full ai tree from the start so i was playing basically a fucking simulation game playing alien isolation (laughs) and uh i like you know after a certain while you start because you're you respawn and you yada yada you start viewing the game as colonel was saying in this idea of like rules and the horror for me stops being like oh no the ooga booga monster is gonna jump out and get me and instead is like okay i have approximately 45 seconds to make it from the second floor down to the first floor so i can get to the save station so i can begin opening the door and then the second that i open the door two androids and the xenomorph are going to start moving towards me from there i have 15 seconds to grab this this and this and i need to make sure i have these items so i can craft a noise thing to throw it and like that's where i 
that's it's the super... tension that I crave. Like I love yeah. that feeling. Toaster is a masochist, duly noted. Toaster kills <laughs> every enemy on his way back to the boss every time he dies in any souls like. It's true. But that's how he's uh, wired. I like to be good at I like to understand what I'm being asked for before I go to the test. That's my that's how I view things is you do the homework and then you pass the test. But uh, like I just want to say that, though, if you're having trouble with uh, horror games and their mechanics. Uh, mm -hmm. my, what I did when the first time I was scared in a, of a game, it wasn't a horror game, obviously, because, you know, it's like mist. Uh, it was Tomb Raider. The original Tomb Raider has uh, some um, soundtrack uh, sort of chimes and, and stings. And uh, the first time I, f I found wolves in that game, the soundtrack kicks in and it's like, ooh. And uh, it, it, that's not how the soundtrack goes. The soundtrack goes. I forget exactly how it is, but um, but yeah. So the first time I, I, I heard it, I saw the wolves jump at me and I heard the soundtrack. I'm like, I'm disabling the soundtrack is what I'm doing. Yeah. And so the first time I played Tomb Raider at the age of 12 or whatever uh, was without a soundtrack and I wasn't. I wasn't as scared. Uh, you know, it was it's it was still a tense game a lot of the time because uh, there's an difficult enemies and I wasn't good. But uh, yeah, they're, controlling the variables might be a, Your a sneaky good thing solution. To do. Was like, what if horror didn't have audio? <laughs> <laughs> it's not as horrific. I, I, it's not as I, tense. I tricked yeah. them. Yeah. Oh, oh it's like in a horror movie. Pausing off is like a hack it's like a it's it like a, a very hack, yeah. good hack to like cheat out a lot of like dumb tricky suspense because like you're you're onto something there like a lot of movies this is it's the laugh track problem is what we refer yes. to it as or the laugh track yeah. cue where like in sitcoms a lot of their jokes aren't very funny but you laugh because you hear the laugh track so it like makes your sympathetic neurons fire and then you you laugh because you think you're supposed to this is the same thing with horror movies where like something pops out of a closet if you were to silence the audio there it's not very scary but because when it happens the volume goes like to scare you you like you lose you you immediately have a response to it so turning mm -hmm. off the soundtrack or the 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 sound the the special the not special effects sound effects uh mm -hmm. will like give you armor <laughs> against yes. the like kind of dumb horror cues that happen in a lot of uh a lot of horror movies and in horror games and being conscious as well of the 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 role of the soundtrack in movies yeah. also allows you to yeah. enjoy them a little bit better at your pacing rather than necessarily definitely more passively like one thing i see a lot i think it's a more modern uh sort of trend but it is definitely a thing that I observe is that whenever the game wants you or the game or the movie, but movies do that, uh, when they want you to be emotional, they, they, they like increase the volume by like five decibels, which is a lot. Yes. And yeah. like what I actively do is I lower the volume when the, when the movie is trying to make me emotional. No, 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 very quiet. I have, I have subtitles. I'm good. I'm good. Let's see. Mm. Yeah. Make me emotional with your, with your lines instead of your volume because it, I, it grinds my gears. <laughs> Just like yeah. she, she, all the soundtrack going at full strength, and I'm like, shut up! That that's not gonna make me cry. <laughs> it makes my ears bleed. Is what it is. One of the unless ways it's Lord of the Rings, in which case it's maximum volume all the time. <laughs> There's yes, a Mr. Frodo. This. Crank it. If you have a, um, if you have like a surround sound system or a sound bar, 
a trick that you can do to make this better is to turn your left and right and back channels down about three or four decibels and boost your center channel uh, because usually Ooh. audio is separated onto the center yes. channel um, so that it's more um, audible yes. no matter where you are. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it will boost the dialogue while reducing the sound, uh, like the soundtrack and the sound cues. It doesn't work very for every point. movie in game, but it is a very yeah. good trick. It's uh, something that we do in the industry when we're trying to sound mix things as well. Good point. I, that's a great idea. I don't have, I don't have a sound setup. I have speaker headsets. I used to have a five point one setup, but uh, it can be so much know, harder those, to those... hear stuff the moment you're not wearing headphones. Yeah. Yep. Just trying to like I'm like why do I need to turn subtitles on for everything because I can't understand the dialogue. Why are things like yeah. this? Do Wait you want to different... do you want to talk about amnesia toaster to close this out since we're over two hours in? Oh sure, I I mentioned it sort of in chat. Jimmy asked any thoughts on the new amnesia. Uh, this is going to be real quick because my thoughts are are pretty simple on it. But um, I played it and it was pretty good. Um, I like that it is. Uh, sort of like an old school Resident Evil game. You have a very specific set of instructions. Uh, you are in a hub-based room, uh, and you have to go out into the different spokes of this mine to oh, collect collect items that you need and then ferry them back to your room, which has a storage box. I do think there's some kind of sloppy game design in there a little bit. A really good example of this is there is a storage box. It has a set amount of inventory slots. Um, however, uh, when you drop things in the world in this game, they don't disappear. So you can just oh. bring everything. You can bring everything back to your base and just drop <laughs> stuff in front of the storage box and never be out of inventory slots uh because you can have your you system shock need... elevator exactly i have my system shock my system shock medical room um but but yeah it's it's a good game like outside of a few of those like kind of amateur um quote unquote like game design imbalances um it's a real solid game it's very understated uh the way that it does its puzzles is kind of cool um, I like that um, kind of cleverly the game allows you to you it generates all of the codes that you find in the game at your the creation of your save file. So you the way that I ended up playing was like I would be in my base and so I would like go out and explore all these areas and find a bunch of clues and eventually die as I acclimate to what the area is supposed to ask of me like I find my objective okay I have to go into this room to turn on a generator or something. And then I would respawn, use the codes I found before I died to open the lockers to get the rewards I would have ostensibly gotten if I had come back alive. But interestingly enough, a lot of these rewards are very specifically items that make getting through the area you find the code in more simple. Like they're very much like, oh, oh that's... You can you can now use this item to make going back through this area easier. So what ended up being this process of like, okay, I go there for an exploratory run, die, grab the items, and now I'm equipped to do the challenge that it asked of me. And I found it very relaxing. <laughs> so yeah, I beat the in the new Amnesia game in about nine hours, I think was my playthrough time. Uh, obviously inflated because I was streaming it, but um, we played on the hardest difficulty. But about nine hours, I got what I think is like the best ending, um, completely by coincidence, which is kind of cool. 
Um, and yeah, I liked it. I thought it was good. Um, I am very interested to see what the new studio or whatever the new team that worked on it does in the future. It was pretty good. If you like Resident Evil, it's um, a new team. This, yeah, it's like a new internal team at Frictional, uh-huh. just like Rebirth still, was. Yeah, I still uh, haven't played Rebirth. I need to. I haven't either. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm interested. I think that it's it's a cool game. I've still it's never sort of personally played game. a single amnesia game. Oh, well, mm. maybe we can do that sometime. But yeah, it's it's the video game equivalent. It's like if you took a a storage box run from a Resident Evil game, like literally like, okay, I need to figure out how to like, my, plan my route and get my 96 handgun rounds to the storage box before I move forward. It's that feeling uh, spread out into an entire video game. So it's pretty cool. I liked it. It was all right. That's your recommendation for the week. Go play Amnesia the Bunker. Or else, I I I do recommend the Dark Descent. I played it. It was my first Amnesia. Then I play, I played the Penumbra games, which I did not enjoy as much, but uh, they were they were fine. It essentially caused me doing let's plays in a way, just because uh, <clears throat> I was friends with Andrew on Steam, and he left a review of the Dark Descent about how he's, he's he said play Amnesia, get insomnia, and it just sounded funny how scared he was of that game. So I was like, we should record that for videos. I've never heard of a Let's Play. And that's, which is not the most original thing, because a lot of people have that exact idea about Amnesia specifically. But we didn't actually record Amnesia specifically because he'd already played it. So we, we went back and recorded uh, uh, Penumbra, the Black Plague, <laughs> as like our, one of our first things. The second one. And uh, or I think it was the Black Plague. The one that has a, a the, it's just straight up has scenes from the thing in it. Like it just has the kennel yeah. and stuff. You're like, hang on a minute. Uh, but I only, oh, ever, I only ever personally I played Soma. Wrecking. And that's about it. But anyway, that's probably going to be it for tonight, today, this week. Podcast. See you guys next time. Send your questions to dialoguechoicespodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.